you're about to listen to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio Network. To listen to other shows just like this, go to foureyedradio.com. Like our show, Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast. Where we talk everything and anything about Pokemon. Learn something new. Like, did you know that every Pokemon card is misprinted on the back? The ball centerpiece opens on the wrong side. <laughs> what? I'm going to have to check that out. But yeah, you can learn stuff like that, which I just learned right now. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Wallop and Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? Oh yes. Good, because you're going to need it. Oh, yeah. To listen to the show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Mm-hmm. This episode is supported by our $10 patron, Bo Harper. New patron, welcome Bo Harper. Yes, welcome. Yes. And this will also be our first time playing Walloping Word Snappers, Woo! where our patrons have access to a secret form to submit a word or phrase that we will work into one episode each month. It can be Spider-Man related or totally random, doesn't matter, it's whatever you want. Then we'll reveal what the words and who sent them were in the following episode. If you're not a patron, you can still play along and try to figure out what words or what phrases were submitted, and uh, we'll see if we can perfectly fit them in or if we awkwardly stumble and give it away. (laughs) Yep, yep, (laughs) yep, yep. It'll be fun, because I'm sure, I mean, if you were to become a patron um, of the $5 and up level, uh, you Mm -hmm. can play and you can submit anything you want pretty much within reason. There's a couple of guidelines, but you can make us just say weird words like ragamuffin (laughs) or like random phrases or you can ragamuffin like, isn't already in your everyday vernacular or what? it's not it should be because it's it's a great word it's also the type a type of cat it's also mm, like i think yes, it means yes. like a scraggly like kids so mm, it's a good mm-hmm, word mm-hmm. so hey and also if you want to like make us say cringy stuff like we like i love Topher grace's venom i'm not saying <laughs> you should say that it's just a suggestion if you want to make it fun if you uh, like really hate us but i never even thought of that as a possibility mm-hmm. <laughs> Hey, you know, you could make it work. It could be like a quote, like this person is so awful. He would say, and then, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, so it'll be fun. It's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, like we said, if you want to, if you want to participate that from the submission side of things, uh, check out our Patreon. We've got a fun two-parter today. I guess it's fun. Um, It's It's about as fun as doing a whole episode in half song. (laughs) (laughs) so we're doing the hobgoblin two-parter today these are these are interesting episodes in how there's a lot of like backstory behind them um a lot of not very positive backstory behind them um (laughs) so yeah we've like citing john semper's interviews because he is very forthright about things as you said many times 
Yes. And and as like a lot of Spider-Man fans probably know, especially any any like of the Spider-Man fans who are kind of not down with this show, usually one of the big complaints was that the Hobgoblin came before the Green Goblin, which is a valid <laughs> a valid thing. And it is it is kind of interesting because like you can usually like be okay with changes that a show makes in an adaptation, but then yeah. there's certain ones that just like they don't really work very well, and I think this is one of those where I think, like, you can have legacy characters sometimes if they're more interesting or as interesting as their original, but, like, Mm -hmm. Hobgoblin, almost by design, isn't really as interesting as as the Green Goblin, really. Like, he was popular in the comics, but I feel like it had more to do with the general mystery of, like, who he was rather than who he actually was. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes, exactly. There's There are ways that you can sort of what if or wouldn't it be cool if certain types of stories or characters and then there are some that are just too reliant on context or or things that set them up that make it really hard to just throw them in anywhere you know it's sort of like what would the point be in saying what if carnage came first like there wouldn't be much of a point this is sort of similar to that in that like why would you have this happen first Eh. Yeah. Well, the reason in this case, um, I have a right. very a very long quote that I kind of broke down from John Sepper, Semper that kind of tells the whole story. And it is actually really interesting um, and kind of fits into the narrative that we've heard time and time again with the making of the, the 90s show. Um, he says, before I was hired, the first head writer, the one we know that was fired before he came on, um, the first head writer, <laughs> <laughs> the first head writer on the show made the decision to only have the Hobgoblin. He wasn't even going to have the Green Goblin on the show at all. Um, why? Sorry. Semper says <laughs> why he made that decision. I have no idea. <laughs> um, and I agree. Like, I feel like probably it was one of those things where whoever that writer was just really liked the design and was just like, oh, yeah, I like that guy a lot. Like, without really having any, like, emotional investment or real, like, knowledge or anything necessarily, it was probably just based on, like, a gut, like, oh, that's kind of cool. I like him better. Let's just do him instead. That's just my speculation, just based on, like, how negative everyone is about this first showrunner. It sort of seems like the decisions weren't, like, thought through. Yeah, it, it, it feels like it would... It feels like the kind of decision you could only make if you didn't have enough information. You know what I yeah. mean? It's not like a, I know so much that I'm making this un, unconventional choice. It's a, I could only do this because I have no idea the significance of, of my other options. Yeah, <laughs> or or... Or he was th- he was knowledgeable. I-, I assume it's a he was knowledgeable and thinking a lot on it, but on like the money angle specifically. And Hobgoblin was really popular in the comics. I think the late '80s, maybe early '90s too. I'm not really sh- super familiar with the Hobgoblin history, but I feel like his like heyday was in the late '80s. So he's probably looking like, oh, that character was like super popular, right? Green Goblin was like dead, so why don't we just use this guy? Because I don't yeah. think Norman Osborn, because the Clone Saga was when Norman Osborn came back. That was, was that like 97 or something? Or was that earlier? I don't remember. Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> it was, I feel like Derek it was... quizzes Doug on comic timeline <laughs> and Doug gets a straight F. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could totally be wrong with that, but I feel like it was either after this or if it was like earlier than that, it was like at the exact same time. So they wouldn't have really been aware of, of that. So, like, Green Goblin probably had been dead for a long time. And so that writer was like, Hobgoblin is alive in the comics. He makes a lot of money. So uh, let's just let's just throw him in. And not really thinking, like, narratively how that would necessarily work. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. It's just, it's so strange. I would be very curious, though, 
to see how someone would react to this knowing nothing because then it would sort of it, it would it it probably makes a lot more sense <laughs> I, yeah. I guess the only reason it's confusing to us is because we know all the backstory but also i don't know that that's an excuse yeah i mean when i watched it as a kid i didn't i don't think i knew that green goblin came first in the comics so i but when you're when you're like a little kid, you just kind of accept it, I guess. You're not really thinking that much into it anyway. And even when I was a kid watching it, Hobgoblin wasn't really like I was not interested in that character at all, you know. And that's not to say that that these episodes are necessarily bad. We'll get into them, but like out of all like of all the rogues gallery that we saw in this show, like even as a kid, I I did not flock to Hobgoblin at all. And I don't feel like I knew a lot of kids who did, like who would rate him as their favorite, you know. I wouldn't have called him my favorite, but he was a villain I liked, but only because I didn't at the time have an, a strong separation between him and Green Goblin. You know, like, sure. they were goblins, and they were similar in their sort of, like, Halloween-y, spooky, sort of, like, goblininess. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I thought was cool. Not not anything to do with the, the Hobgoblins <laughs> specifically, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, based on that decision to not have uh, have the Hobgoblin, I mean, I have Green Goblin at all, even after the writer was fired, the executive producer, Avi Arad, who we know was also the head of Toy Biz, he had already invested a lot of time and money preparing to roll out an elaborate Hobgoblin toy line. So that was going to be like, I think Hobgoblin was kind of part of the original kind of rollout with like the Spider Slayers and probably like, and maybe even Venom and Doc Ock, like the ones that they knew were going to be big sellers that they wanted to get out ASAP. That's why he's in the first season. Um, so he was, he was, uh, already like already create the toys were already created, I should say. Um, but once that original writer was fired and Semper was hired, Semper was, did try to get Green Goblin on to appear first, but he says, and I quote, too much money was already tied up with the toy line and it was too late to can to change or cancel it. To his credit, Avi was just as frustrated with the situation as I was. And he was very angry that the original head writer had led him down the wrong path. Uh, but he didn't want the toy line to fail, understandably. So we made the best of a bad situation. Um, he does say having Mark Hamill, uh, which we'll get to as the voice of the Hobgoblin, was wonderful. But truth be told, uh, those first two Hobgoblin episodes, the ones we're talking about today, are probably my least favorite episodes of the series. Probably due to my frustration of knowing uh, we were doing it wrong. We were uh, doing it the wrong way around. That makes sense. I don't know that I would. I would. I mean, these are low on the list, and we'll talk about why later. But I wouldn't say they're my least favorite. Yeah, no, there's still a lot of good stuff in them. I think it does. This is it's very much like a chip on your shoulder kind of thing. And I totally yeah. I totally get why, because it's Ooh, like, yeah. no matter how well you execute something, if you know you're not doing the right thing and you're kind of going against your instincts and like your gut, you're never going to feel good about it. So. Well, and John Semper is clearly proud of the work that he does. And so when he can't do something the way that he knows is best, of course, that's going to bother him. That would bother the crap out of me, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I still have to do the thing and I have to make the product but I'm not like fully behind it. <laughs> that would right. be so frustrating. Right. I will say the goblin toys probably were awesome. And I bet that I would want those more than other ones. Huh. Yeah, that's true because there's so many different little like mechanics that you can have with it. <laughs> it's like uh, so many. Any toy that fires like a missile, I was totally <laughs> about. And the gliders are cool. So mm-hmm. I'd be into it. Yeah. Any toy you can like fly around without it without it just being weird like oh of uh, course yeah. it's gonna fly yeah those are on point <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 that's true it was all it's all because of toys that's how what it all comes down to every that's like every bad thing on the of on this show at least like up to this point has just 
been because of the toy line. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's interesting because there's another interview that you had found, or at least uh, a few maybe, where he calls the Hobgoblin boring and a useless character. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm seeing that, I'm thinking about these episodes and we'll have to sort of imagine this as we talk about them. But that's actually kind of a good point where I don't know that I would call Hobgoblin boring, but you probably could put any other villain in there and tell the same story, at least within these two episodes. It's like a replacement level villain. Hmm, yeah, yeah. I you know think what I that's mean? A great, that's a very good point because they are telling a very specific story with this. And I and I like the the narrative of these episodes, but you're right. There's nothing about it that makes it specific to the Hobgoblin, really. Yeah, know? this is not... These two episodes aren't about the Hobgoblin. Yeah. They just use the Hobgoblin. Yeah, and, and really, I mean, we get no sense of, you know, really who he is. You know, we pur- are purposely left in the dark about, like, his personal life and, and everything because we don't know who he is ever in these episodes, I should say. And so, like, because of that, like, we have no, you know, like the Doc Ock, Doc Ock episode, we knew what all of his motivations were. Everything was built around his motivations and, like, what he caused through that. Um, and any episode that, like, has a villain that doesn't really have those motivations, it would be, like, Rhino and, like, Shocker, which they weren't the primary villains in those episodes. These episodes are ostensibly about Hobgoblin and about this villain sweeping in and and wreaking havoc. But, like, there's not really anything about the mechanics of the story that are very specific to him that required him to to be here doing all of this yeah it's very much um hobgoblin is selling toys in these episodes (laughs) but the but the actual good story stuff is happening with other characters that you would never make into toys yeah oh which i think actually should lead us pretty well into like a general synopsis because I want to make sure we don't, you know, talk too much about the why and not actually get into the what. Yeah. So let me just read the synopsis real quick and some things might start start falling into place for folks who are like rusty on these episodes. So um, we're talking about uh, season one, episode 11, The Hobgoblin Part 1. And the short synopsis per IMDb is Norman Osborn hires a psychopath known as the Hobgoblin to kill the Kingpin. But the Hobgoblin plans to use Osborn and Kingpin's rivalry to his own advantage. So with what I had just said about like Hobgoblin selling toys, but all the interesting stuff is happening with characters you wouldn't sell as toys, that I think illustrates it. Mm-hmm. Hobgoblin's cool and has toys that you can fly around and shoot missiles with. You're not making like a toy set of Kingpin and Osborn rivalry. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But that's where the interesting stuff for me as an adult watching this mm-hmm. is. Yeah, because there is a lot of really interesting personal stuff happening in this in these episodes so yep yep yeah well uh we can find you can watch these episodes along with us if you'd like they are available on amazon prime and itunes both for purchase the original air date for this first episode part one was may 20th 1995 it was written by john semper and larry brody a writer we have not seen yet before uh brody wrote for a number of live action dramas in the 70s and 80s including the original hawaii 50 in animation, he's written on multiple episodes of uh, Silver Surfer, the Spawn animated series, and multiple episodes of Spider-Man Unlimited. Did you watch the Spawn animated series? I did not. Was that HBO, I think, right? I don't know. I didn't watch it, so I was going to ask how that was, but uh, I guess we'll just wonder. I think it was like an adult show, which is, I think it was HBO, yeah. So I think it was like an adult show. I want to say what I've seen of it, like in clips and stuff. I feel like it's like that kind of 
MTV animated aesthetic, like the 90s mm. MTV aesthetic. I don't okay. know if it was necessarily good or not, but I feel like it was kind of in that same vein. Gotcha. Well, naturally, uh, per the title of this episode, you can probably expect the one major character introduced in this episode, the Hobgoblin, who is portrayed, and this blew my mind like 10 years ago when I learned it for the first time, (laughs) uh, who is portrayed by Mark Hamill. Woo! I love him. Who, if you're unaware, (laughs) and I don't want to assume that just because you're listening to a Spider-Man podcast that you know who Mark Hamill is, so we'll we'll drop some credits, but... (laughs) He's Luke Skywalker. Ever heard of him? Who's that? <laughs> in the Star Wars film universe. And he was also the voice of Joker in Batman the Animated Series <laughs> and many subsequent DC animated properties and video games into pretty recently, I think. I feel like I remember he said that Arkham City, the game, was going to be his last role as the Joker. But then I feel like he still came back like a few years later and did another animated movie or something. So I don't think he does it as consistently as he used to, sure. but he'll still, he's still him and Kevin Conroy will still like kind of pop up and, and do stuff every now and then. This was the, uh, the first actor credits that I looked up, uh, or rather that I wrote down that I didn't look up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somewhere there's a sentence in there. <laughs> <laughs> But these are the first first um, acting credits I didn't have to look up because it's Mark frickin' Hamill. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, also, I uh, I just thought of this now. Mark Hamill is going to be the voice of the new Chucky doll in the new Chucky series. I'm totally down with that. Oh, I just spit all over my mic when I said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just that down with it. No, I think he is going to be great. I think that's actually yep. really smart casting. Like, really I good. I agree. I mean, I have a big soft spot for for Brad Dourif, but I feel like in the way that he had a really kind of unique voice, Mm -hmm. that was also menacing that he gave to Chucky. Like, I feel like Mark Hamill, all he has to do is just do his Joker voice and like, it will work fine. I feel like he's going to do something slightly different than that, but like, sure, he's already pretty much got it, got it in the bag. So that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Mark Hamill is fascinating to me as a voice actor because... I mean, and I, I, I'm not even saying this as somebody who's familiar with everything he's done as a voice actor, because I'm not. I pretty much know a few things. But Mark Hamill, just when you listen to him talk normally, or when you watch him in, you know, Star Wars or any other stuff he's been in, like, he just seems like such a, like a nice, calm sort of, you know, maybe he's sort of angsty if you're watching Star Wars (laughs) back in the day. Maybe he's like, you know, hermit old man if you're watching now, but always just sort of like this nice, warm presence. And then his Joker voice and his Hobgoblin voice are just insane. (laughs) Yeah. And I've never actually watched him do them. And I'm sure there's tons of videos I could look at, but I haven't. And so it's, there's still just this sort of like amazement and awe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where I try to imagine it and it doesn't work very well. (laughs) He's so good because he's always so like gung-ho about whatever he does. Yeah. Just throws himself Mm -hmm, into it. mm -hmm. He was also in... The 1990 The Flash show, which I love. It's such a great, it's such a great little like one season gem. And he was the trickster in that, basically the Joker, like the way it was, but like a sillier (laughs) version. But like, so it was funny to see him in live action, kind of doing that, having the Joker persona, even in live action, doing the voice, like it suits him. And he he came back for the, for the recent, like the new Flash too, um, reprising the exact same role, which is crazy. He's good in live action too. Like even when he's playing these like menacing characters, he just is just a really all-around, like, solid actor. 
who I guess he hasn't he never really got like a, a huge range of roles, I guess, but whenever he does stuff, he just <laughs> goes for it and it's always so good. He's Luke Skywalker or he is a total psychopath <laughs> villain. It's one it's, of the two. <laughs> it's great that he didn't get typecast from being like Luke Sky- Luke Skywalker, you know? It yeah. would have been so easy for him to just try to be like a swashbuckling hero for forever and then and I don't think it would really work for him. I feel like Luke Skywalker was almost kind of like a unique sort of sort of role for him. And I feel like he's almost like I feel like he's a better voice actor than he is as an actor, but he's also a very good actor. So, yeah. Well, should we uh, begin to tear this one apart? I suppose so. Um, I, that sounds so much more negative than yeah. I'm actually about to be. <laughs> I, was like, I guess oh. I should say, like, should we dis- dissect this one? Yes, let's dissect this one. Let's do it. Yeah. First off, opening sequence watch, 2019. Wait, wait, wait. I know this one. I know it this time. Okay. I'm so confident. Okay. Part one opens with the original opening. Part two opens with the second later opening. You got it, finally. Ha <laughs> It only took me <laughs> six episodes <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because literally I, in the last one i was like like i've just given up it's, it's always gonna be the wrong opening and then i think you said watch the next episode have the old opening and that's exactly <laughs> what happened and that's exactly it's, what happened <laughs> and it's still shifted back to the new one on part two just to like mess with me so which it's i don't uh, i don't know <laughs> i don't know that we need to go into it but these episodes are literal continuations of each other how do they have different openings <laughs> I don't know what who's 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 not driving at the wheel right now when they're doing this. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Well, <laughs> after that, uh, the episode opens on an identified an identified person. We only see him from behind, putting on the hobgoblin costume and Mac uh, Mac mask, <laughs> <laughs> hopping on a glider and flying off. He's following a limousine, driving Wilson Fisk to a public appearance. Yeah, and this is fun because um, we see inside the limo that Fisk is talking with Smythe, Alistair Smythe, the younger of the Smythes, who is, like, really upset and angry and confused, almost. (laughs) Like, I don't know if this is just, like, a a misportrayal of a line or like a weird line read, but he like seems really angry that Wilson Fisk makes public appearances. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he should, I feel like he should know, know that already because Wilson Fisk does have a, have a pretty like public life, you know, like that's his cover. Yeah. That's his, I mean, <laughs> I guess his idea is that it's like, well, it's better to be out of sight, out of mind, I guess. But like, I don't know if you're rich, <laughs> you're like the richest person in the world. Like you might as well just, I mean, yeah what would be the point of just like never doing anything and, and i don't know like so let's yeah. ask bruce wayne <laughs> um but yeah he, wilson fisk basically says you know i i have to do these things to to have a cover like people need to think i do something as opposed to what i actually do you know <laughs> like i can't can't just pre- like yeah. do not like you said do nothing <laughs> what is your job <laughs> yeah you know what my favorite part of this this limo scene though is <laughs> I love so much how prim and like sort of vain Kingpin is. Mm-hmm. Like he's very aware of of how he looks and that everything is perfect. Um, and he knows exactly that he's presenting in his most dapper way. And this this scene evidences that because he's like looking in a little like uh, I don't even know what they're called, but the little foldy mirrors that you use to like check your makeup. Yeah. Oh god, <laughs> what are they? Pocket? Are they just pocket mirrors? I feel like I don't know. there's a name for it. I don't know. There's definitely a name for it, but I love that he just like checking himself in his mirror before he makes his public appearance. (laughs) It's one of the things I think Vincent D'Onofrio did super well is like, you just got this sense that this is, I don't know, a guy who just, 
not in like a um obsessive way but just like cares that his collar is pressed yeah make sure that his outfit is selected properly yeah <laughs> i love that so much yeah yeah it makes sense if you're going to be having a secret identity like out in the public like this and also be like the most powerful bad guy in the world like you're going to be very <laughs> attentive to how you come off at all times yes. so makes yes. sense <laughs> yeah so after that we we cut to harry <laughs> so finally a, a point where harry isn't like a big wiener in this show um, <laughs> he asks peter peter parker to move in to a new apartment with him um which peter's confused because it's like really you're like flash thompson's friend and you're i'm just kind of a rando we go to school together why are you asking to be roommates all of a sudden Harry explains that his father will only pay for an apartment if Harry finds a responsible roommate. Um, so Peter is, of course, like, Ugh, a responsible cringe. one. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess he considers Peter responsible because he, like, gets good grades and is kind of... I mean, he probably sees Peter through, like, how Flash sees him, which is, like, just, like, a big, like, nerdy little, like, wiener. Even yeah. though Harry's the real wiener in the situ- situation, but... Mm-hmm. It makes sense. And the whole apartment will be paid for, like, in whole by his father, um, Norman Osborn. Take the offer, Peter. I know. It's such a great... <laughs> oh, my God. I know you're probably jealous about... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. Apartment? I've been a... I, I referenced this on our last episode when Eddie Brock found an apartment in, like, a day. Where? What? Like, Eddie yeah. Brock is finding an apartment in a day... Harry Osborn is getting like this penthouse apartment, or I guess Peter is getting this penthouse apartment, like for free, no strings attached. Where's my apartment? <laughs> I know apartment hunting sucks. Yep. yep. <laughs> I do like Peter's like I mean, uh, rightfully like confused and like, are you serious? Harry's like me, hardly ever. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Harry Osborn is so weird in this he's series. Very weird. <laughs> or at least he's weird to this point. Maybe he stopped being super weird, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're getting, he is like getting less and less annoying, like, by the day, I guess. He's just. Very true. It's it's hard to pinpoint, like, what and who he is in this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I I really do feel like at some point Harry starts making sense. Yeah. And I don't know that to be 100% true, but I feel like it happens because most of my understanding of these characters came from this show when i was a kid that's true and i i don't remember hating harry or thinking that he sucked mm-hmm. like i felt like i had an understanding of him so i don't know it's gotta happen it's gotta happen yeah yeah i think it will i think it will well harry is is diving a little bit into like kind of his origin story a bit uh based on his relationship with norman and he kind of explains that after uh his parents got divorced which kind of gutsy for like a kid's show to just straight up talk about divorce like that i don't feel like that really happened that much in the 90s or maybe it was like just starting f- to in the 90s i feel like it happens in the 90s a lot with a friend like main character has a friend whose parents are getting divorced yes and i feel like that's always the case <laughs> yeah it actually like, like <laughs> shocked me that like mighty Morphin power rangers had like kimberly's parents being divorced and that actually was like a big plot point that was addressed like i feel yeah, like for that a was, main character <laughs> yeah so like especially for like a show that like at that point was real tame about the issues that it dealt yeah. with like that was pretty gutsy to do so that's kind of so surprising but more yeah. common nowadays but and then i feel like it was still kind of a new thing to talk about it so openly mm-hmm. in any case that's kind of the chip on the shoulder that harry has is that after the divorce norman's basically just trying to like buy his affection instead of like you know spending time with your son 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Harry makes a couple of weird comments, uh, not weird comments, actually super understandable comments about how infrequently he sees Norman. Um, and one of them comes because we realize that Harry and Peter are walking to this dedication event that Wilson Fisk is also heading towards. So they're all kind of going to the same place. And, um, Peter's like, I don't know. I need to think about this a little more. This is all really sudden, this whole apartment thing. And Harry's like, no, 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 no. Like, you got to decide now because, you know, my dad's going to be at this event and I see him so infrequently that I need to tell him, like, today. Yeah, it's, like, really (laughs) tragic. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, oh, I see my dad so little that I need to go to this public event. Like, I can't even, I can't even call him. He probably won't take my calls. (laughs) (laughs) Right. What does he say? He says, like, uh, I'm not privileged enough to see my dad every day. And I was like, ooh. Yeah. Like, oh, God, it's so gross. (laughs) And it's so sad. (laughs) (sighs) Sorry, Harry. Yeah. Sorry we called you a wiener. I know. (laughs) I know. Well, while they're at that ceremony, uh, Kingpin's ceremonially breaking ground. And then the hobgoblin attacks (laughs) right in the middle of it. Yes, he does. (laughs) <laughs> I like that there's like like Jameson has like one little obligatory appearance and it's just to <laughs> a complain about Peter like not being there um on time yep. and then like later on he's just like did you see that what's going on and like that's it mm-hmm. and then he's gone for the rest of the episode just want to throw that in <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if he makes his obligatory appearance in the second one No I don't think he's there at all <laughs> That might be the first time that's happened Yeah uh I don't think he was in the Craven episode was he mm, Oh maybe it was just Robbie yeah, he, he his voice was on Robbie's answering machine so technically Ed Asner still there you like, go. was credited So yeah I guess the second episode <laughs> would be the first time like there's no role for Jameson and like Ed Asner Wow in there. interesting Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. So Hobgoblin attacks. Uh, Peter's spider sense does go off in time for for him to tackle a Fisk to get him away from Hobgoblin's blaster fire, um, which I think it's weird. It's weird to me to see like a goblin just using like a gun, like it's a laser gun. But it's just like a pistol thing. Like, I don't know. I don't feel like that happens very often. No, it it sort of reminds me of, uh, I want to say it's, it reminds me of a sort of laser pistol that Princess Leia slash General Leia always sort of has, (laughs) where it's like a pistol, but it looks like it kind of has a scope. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I don't really get it. But yeah, yeah, it is very strange that this is his primary weapon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Peter, Peter saves Fisk. Hobgoblin continues to just like blow up the event so peter gets away <laughs> to uh dress as spider-man and fight him chase him away from the yeah event. we'll see this as sort of a, a personality trait of <laughs> hobgoblin but he doesn't just do the thing hobgoblin is incapable of just doing the thing because he fails to do the thing and then just terrorizes this yeah. event <laughs> so weird it's very weird it's funny though you know i guess that 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 is one like personality trait that's like very consistent with him Mm -hmm. is that like he's maniacal to the point of where it's just like yeah i guess i'll just blow stuff up (laughs) yeah i guess i couldn't kill fisk so i'll just go nuts yeah (laughs) what else i'm bored Uh, yeah as spider-man chases hobgoblin off um there's a onlookers like watching and there's like a lady who's like oh he'll be no match for spidey and there's like a dude with like a gruff like gangster voice is like yeah i hope they finish each other off (laughs) i'm so glad you wrote that down because so did i i was like (laughs) this is the best it sort of like continues the uh the emerging tradition of uh, npc characters uh, appearing in the show (laughs) more npc characters you know who my favorite npc character of this episode is though Ultimate Frisbee Kid from the Ooh. 90s. 
Oh, I love it. It's such a, it's so cool because it's such a, it's such like an, an, an unnecessary like little shot. It's, I mean, it's creative, I guess. That they they're not just sticking with Harry and Peter walking. Like they have them walking, and you see that kid just like come in, but he's so '90s and he's throwing a frisbee. Yep. It's so perfect. Yep. <laughs> There's a lot of good background stuff happening in the beginning of this episode. Yeah, there really is. So uh, Spider-Man does chase Hobgoblin through the city and, and manages to grab onto the glider. But when Hobgoblin attempts to basically shake Spider-Man off by smashing him against a plane, like, I, I guess that's the plan. Peter's like, nah, I'm going to not get hit by this plane and bails off of the glider, <laughs> um, which is smart, you know. Yeah. Uh, let's not get hit by planes. But as he's falling, he discovers that he has run out of web fluid. There's our web web shooter web fluid mention of the episode. <laughs> um, and nearly impales himself Whoops. on an iron fence. Whoops. Yeah, I do. I love that whole sequence as he's falling. <laughs> and he keeps like almost catching himself and then not catching yep. himself and continuing to fall. It's really great. <laughs> And he's very, um, like, good-humored throughout. Like, yeah. he has his realization that he has no web fluid. And then he, he like, jumps on a side of a building and then launches himself to another building and then tries to grab onto this window-washing scaffold and, like, all these different things. And he's like, maybe this will work. Nope. How about this? Oh, this will definitely happen. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's, like, <laughs> very enthusiastically, yeah. co- like, color commentating his own fall to death <laughs> and then when he like very nearly is impaled in the face by the fence he's just like i meant to do that <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> it's nailed the landing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy yeah we almost lost spider-man to a wrought iron fence oh my god how how sad would that have been <laughs> what a terrible death <laughs> series is over everyone <laughs> bye <laughs> So um, we cut back to the event where Harry is checking on Norman and Norman's like a total jerk about it, which is to be expected based on the way he's been set up. So uh, Harry's like, oh, great. Well, thanks. I'm I'm good, too, I suppose. He literally just drives off and leaves his son like after yeah. a terrorist attack. <laughs> yeah, he totally does. And and Harry's like, I hope you're OK. And Norman's like, see ya. <laughs> but Norman is is like rushing back to Oscorp where um, he meets up with da 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 hobgoblin who just attacked the place that he was whoa what crazy <laughs> whoa. coincidence Pff, mind blown <laughs> uh because in fact norman was the one who hired hobgoblin to kill wilson fisk Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. yes <laughs> obviously he is upset about the failure uh to carry out the hit but uh hobgoblin does use the introduction of spidey kind of like uh, adds that into the equation to upgrade to pay for the job which is another like interesting personality trait i think that's consistent in this episode is that he does he does have a good like he's a good like salesman i guess like he's really good at just kind of uh, like upselling and being and just kind of taking whatever comes to him just being and like using it turning it around to be like "Mm, this is how you can make that benefit me yes this is the thing or this is the first bit of the stuff that i will continue to like throughout these two episodes these two episodes, I have to imagine, are episodes I could not have followed or understood oh as God. like a, an eight-year-old. Yeah. But they're, they're actually, I think, really, really good from the perspective of here are three self-interested dudes who are all sort of playing this bizarre game of chess against 
one another. And it ends up taking all these sorts of like twists and turns. There are sort of like alliances formed and broken throughout. Mm -hmm. And just sort of like watching all of that play out is actually something I really enjoy about this episode Mm -hmm. and don't expect to see again because it is almost like too complicated for (laughs) the show that that the story is being told through. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I do enjoy it. Yeah, it's really good. And it is something that only works, I think, when you have a quote unquote main villain that doesn't really need a lot of like time spent on a backstory or like fleshing out character motivations. Like this is, I think, like if you had to use Hobgoblin for something, but couldn't really nail down a characterization you wanted to give to him, this is probably the best use that you could have had for him ultimately. That's true. And they've they've done themselves a massive favor by introducing both Wilson Fisk slash Kingpin and Norman Osborn, mostly through Harry and Oscorp to this point. So they introduce a third character that we don't need to know anything about, and they're using established characters. Mm-hmm. So there's not really any backstory between all of this that we need in this episode. We've sort of got it already, mm-hmm. which is, you know, really smart. There, There's some really smart stuff that happens in these episodes. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's one of the, I feel like it's, it's one of those things that I appreciate when I'm thinking about it, but I don't necessarily watch the show yeah. to, to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not super fun to watch a lot of this, but we'll, yeah, we'll, it gets, we'll dig into it a little bit as we get to it. <laughs> I think it gets exponentially more fun the more I think about it, but we're only at the beginning. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, this is the first bit we see, which is the alliance between Norman and Hobgoblin. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> stuff actually happens in the episode. Yeah. So. <laughs> Let's yeah. My bad. It's cool. No, it's it makes sense. Norman is outraged by Hobgoblin's audacity. Um, he attempts to fire him, and a very like kind of weird but also interesting exchange occurs. This mm-hmm. is the quote: uh, "What Norman tells Hobgoblin is, before a wing and the weapons, you were you were just a punk, an ambitious hood and a mask. I made you Hobgoblin, and now I'm unmaking you. Don't forget, I know your real identity, and I've stored it where it'll come out if anything happens to me." And Hobgoblin says, "You owe me, Osborne, and I'm taking the wing as my down payment." Okay, I have a question, and I, I think I wasn't going to ask this question yet, uh-huh. but I think I'm going to ask it now, Okay. because I think I know the answer, and I'm not sure. Okay. Does any of this ever get resolved in future episodes? Ye- some of it does, yeah. Okay. I Maybe go, all. Like, as I was watching this, Actually, I was like, I think oh, I can't. All of it, I think all of it does come back later. Oh, okay. Because as I was watching it, I was like, this will be really interesting to sort of unweave and untangle and and get, you know, backstory behind and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then (laughs) as we were talking about the behind the scenes stuff and how these episodes came into existence, I was getting less confident. I was like, (laughs) oh, no, maybe maybe we don't ever get this resolved. (laughs) Maybe they just made them because they had to. And then they were like, oh, great. Now we don't have to make them. (laughs) Kind of like the spider slayers. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, cool. Then I, uh, I will look forward to, to when that is because fun fact, um, have you ever like met a person multiple times and for some reason you just can't remember their name? You're like, this is a person whose name I just, for some reason will never remember. That's me. And literally everything about the hobgoblin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, if you asked me any of the identities of the Hobgoblin, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> to, <laughs> I would have no idea. To be f- and I've <laughs> looked it up many, many times. Like, this isn't just, like, me 
having no background information or having done no research, I had just have no, I, yeah. it will not stick in my brain. <laughs> I mean, I have the same sort of feel. I think I only remember so vividly because I just a couple of years ago when the show was on Hulu, I watched some random ones. And one of the random ones I watched, it was actually like, I, I, there, I have like my, what I right now consider my all time favorite episode, which might change as we go through this podcast. But I went to watch mm-hmm. my, uh, the episodes leading up to that episode and Hobgoblin just happened to be in one of those. Mm-hmm. So I remember okay. a lot of that stuff, but like watching these, like when we were getting ready to do this, I was thinking like, I remember that this episode, I think has Peter moving into an apartment. And I remember the shot of Peter like tackling Fisk. But I couldn't remember, like, literally anything else. I was like, I know Hobgoblin is in it, but why is this a two-parter? I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so, like, I have, the, I have the same kind of feelings as where it's sort of like anything involving the Hobgoblin is kind of a weird blind spot. And I guess because he's yeah. not very interesting, maybe, but I don't know. Well, I think you I think you nailed it early on in our discussion where when when the intrigue of a character is the mystery of who they are, mm-hmm. who they actually are has to be huge or no one's going to care. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, it just must not have been that big a deal. I guess I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Cause I don't remember at all. All of that to say, apparently there's a secret identity and some blackmail involved and you know, whatever. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Norman knows who Hobgoblin is and we don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to the Parker residence, we get a interesting scene with Peter and Aunt May watching the news story about Peter saving Fisk. Oh God, I hate this. Aunt May does her Aunt May thing. Um, this is one of, she fluctuates between being pretty awesome and just like sucking real bad. This is a, this is a, this is episode kind of falls back and forth a little bit. Mm-hmm. Instead of being like happy and proud of Peter for like being a hero at this point, she's like, Peter, you must stop taking all these risks and using that as a reason for why he shouldn't move out because she can't watch over him. Yep. Yeah. I don't, I mean, to be fair, I know that this, this comes back around later on at the end of the episode, but as it stands like on its own, getting to this point, it's just like, oh my God, oh May, come on. Like he did a really fantastic thing and you're really getting hung up on him like, I don't know. I that scraping his knee on the way down. Yeah, like I know that that's like that's a big part of Aunt May, but like I feel like she could have at least preface preface the stop taking all these risks with like I'm very proud of you. That was a nice thing you did, but you shouldn't have taken all these risks. It almost feels kind of manufactured specifically so there can be that emotional moment at the end of the episode, um which isn't to say that I don't like how the episode ends and I do like how this thread goes kind of, but I feel like the setup, it just kind of sells out Aunt May like further when I already was kind of teeter on the edge with not liking her, you know, so. Yeah, I don't even know if I'm as high as it sounds like maybe you are on the way it concludes because of this. Like, mm. I feel like there's just, I, I, I see what they are trying to do and I just don't think they did it as well as they thought they were doing it. Yeah. Because, you know, it's it's really difficult for me to have aunt may say things that are so antithetical to what uncle ben believes in yeah i don't mind when uncle ben is like just over the line of too vigilant and aunt and 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 aunt may sort of serves to try to bring that back a little bit Mm -hmm. you know like that makes sense to me but when she just like you said straight up is just sort of like that was a you shouldn't have done that it's like no like Uncle Ben would have been like super pumped about that. And you might be like, okay, Ben, but like, just think before you do it and then do it. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. She, she's not yeah. acting as like a, a temper for the behavior. She's just, 
I don't know, being annoying. It's funny because when we when we first started talking about this series, I remember you saying that this is one of your least favorite sort of Aunt May portrayals. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I was like, really? Like, I don't remember it being that bad. Like, feel I, I thought you were being sort of like harsh, but oh my <laughs> gosh, you were you were not. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating because she really does have her moments sometimes. Like, that's yes, I loved her like in the Spider Slayer episode. Like, I think she she can be written really well, and it's just like. They just take her too far in the wrong direction so many times to the point where, like, she's not even a character. She just feels like she's just there just to, like, provoke Peter and be annoying. Yeah. Which annoys me because I think Aunt May can be a really good character. I like so, I love so many versions of Aunt May. So, yeah, that just frustrates me to see her. Like, in this episode, she's basically, like, Clark Kent's dad in Man of Steel, like, telling him, like, <laughs> no, you shouldn't save, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't save the kids. I just pissed off a whole bunch of Snyder heads just now. But, like, it's just, I, I, I don't like... I feel like it's a very forced contrived way to have personal conflict for a superhero. Cause like, I don't feel like anyone is ever going to tell you to not to like, don't do the right thing. Don't save someone. If you can save them, like, no one's no one thinks that it's providing conflict for the for one character but at the cost of the other character exactly yes and that's that's not okay because aunt may is when done well an incredibly complex character right like when aunt may is proud of the things that peter does but is anxious and worried because of those same exact things that's good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's done well anyway i'm getting to the point where i like fully understand like your earlier <laughs> like assertions on this version of aunt uh, uh of may yeah uh, okay so uh, they're talking about Peter moving out. Aunt May also shares that Mary Jane is planning to move in with some friends. But as a result, Anna Watson, uh, Mary Jane's aunt, w- might or is planning to move in with May. So they'll just live together since they would both be in empty houses. Um, Peter thinks the situation is perfect because you'll have someone to keep company and I can go. Oof. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Big oof. Yeah. I. Mm, it's like, obviously, I get Peter's perspective but man he really is being kind of dense here and and it's those things like i've done that exact same kind of thing where i'm just like excited about something and only thinking about it for myself and then not realizing like oh other people have feelings too whoops yeah this isn't this isn't peter being a a jerk on purpose it's like bad phrasing and and like poorly managed (laughs) emotions he's right i mean it makes sense that he's super excited because this is like a freaking dream deal you know yeah (laughs) yeah but it makes aunt may cry which is as much as she's annoying like it's sad like i get it she doesn't want him to go and i think it's kind of complex like because i she puts on a nice face for him saying like oh no it's a natural thing kids always move out like you should do it and then she doesn't like complain to him about that like she complained earlier which makes that earlier complaint even more annoying that like she then turns mm-hmm. around and is actually really cool about it and she's kind of like suppressing her sadness about it so i and i like the complexity there i wish the whole scene was written a little better uh to make it work but i like what they're going for with that idea yeah it's kind of incredible that aunt may has both like a like terribly written moment and a well-written moment <laughs> in a matter of like 60 seconds yeah i know right <laughs> So after, after, you know, Peter upsets (laughs) Aunt May, we actually dive right into the apartment that he's moving into, which is sort of a strange, (laughs) strange progression of scenes. Already Um, very extremely furnished apartment, by the way. uh uh (laughs) Uh-huh, uh-huh. He arrives to this apartment where Harry is throwing a housewarming party. A ridiculous housewarming party, by the way. Peter hasn't even seen, this is literally his first time seeing the apartment, is coming into it, seeing 
a party. <laughs> yes, and he's carrying a briefcase. <laughs> like a tiny, a tiny little briefcase. Like I, mean... I guess when you have one outfit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but his like everything's already in his room. Like he has a bunch of books. Yeah. And his bed is made, and he. I guess he didn't need to bring anything with him. I suppose. I guess so. It's it's very strange. I mean, again, I guess it's kind of like a dream deal because you don't have to worry about moving yeah. anything. But it's just like, do you have zero personal possessions? Or <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly. So th- there's this party happening, and uh, MJ is already there, which makes sense, because uh, they're they're sort of in overlapping social circles, and it's Peter's apartment, so obviously she's going to show up. But she's there already, and she sort of uh, praises the apartment for how nice it is, but also also says, I just hope you bachelors don't ruin it with glow velvet paintings, which is so strange. <laughs> it's such a specific... <laughs> reference that like no one i don't most kids at the time wouldn't get and no one nowadays will get so right (laughs) didn't age well and probably didn't land with the intended audience so who was that for (laughs) right (laughs) it is weird though because it that comment and this apartment and the party that they're having and even just sort of like the next morning it's all this really bizarre sort of stereotypical college scenery that we don't really ever see that's true yeah i mean it's totally like a frat party kind of kind of yeah. look to it um they don't show yeah. them drinking but like you assume that's definitely what happened <laughs> oh yeah hard head shake for sure mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or head nod yes nodding i'm nodding oh, yeah. agreeing for sure <laughs> whatever that head motion is <laughs> yeah i don't know it's podcasts so i probably shouldn't dictate my motions <laughs> Well, in addition to the Dayglow Velvet paintings, Peter's response to MJ's comment is, I suppose your your place is going to be filled with Warhols. And MJ's like, please, Hockneys and Motherwells. No college students have ever talked Why? like this. These are the, I mean, I know everybody knows who, knows who Andy Warhol is, I guess, but kids wouldn't. I don't, I didn't recognize Hockney and Motherwell, to be honest. I don't no, know. I had to look it up. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if you're like, like a big, like, art history person, it would it would make sense, but like, MJ's in theater and Peter is in <laughs> physics or chemistry or something. So yeah, like what are these references again? I don't. It's know. like with with like the Danielle Steele reference in the Craven episode. Like it's rarely. <laughs> part of me likes it because it's like you know what? Like you don't care that kids are watching. You're just gonna throw in what you want to hear, I guess. And it yeah. does give this show a very unique voice. Very strange gems. It's just weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So after we sort of see this party situation and they have these weird conversations that nobody watching actually understands, um, we cut to later that evening um, where Hobgoblin is breaking into Fisk's place. It's like kind of hard to tell exactly what part <laughs> he's breaking into. I don't fully under... I, I would like a, a floor plan yeah. of, of Fisk's Chrysler building. How much of it is his? Does he <laughs> rent any of it out? Is it like his from like floor to tip? I, yeah. I just don't know. But Hobgoblin's breaking into some room in the building. He does it by just like rubbing his hands on a portrait and then it just magically opens. Yes. <laughs> After he has light beamed a perfect circle in the window. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, he he flies up to the building and just like clicks on a light on his little glider and like just Mysterio magics away <laughs> like a perfectly sized hole to fly through. Very rare that Hobgoblin is not on his glider in these episodes, yeah. by the way. Yeah, true. <laughs> he's like he's like the nineties equivalent of people who only travel on hoverboards. Oh my god. <laughs> uh... <laughs> 
Oh boy. I don't know if he knew this ahead of time or if he accidentally finds the entrance. Somehow he finds the entrance to it, uh, to Fisk's like secret compound, but he's ambushed mm-hmm. immediately. It, it was a trap waiting, laying in wait for him. A bunch of Fisk's like dopey looking goons, uh, hold him up with, with the guns. But during like Hobgoblin's like uh, like being defensive and and cracking jokes and stuff, Fisk is like legit like chuckled by 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 Hobgoblin. Like he's like yeah, like you're so theatrical, like you're so fun. And he like orders his guy to guys to lower his weapons. And I mean, he's about to make Hobgoblin an offer. He asks him, "What does he want?" And Hobgoblin says, "Money, all this," like gesturing to the kingpin's entire domain he does a cute little twirl on his <laughs> <It is> cute. <laughs> yeah uh kingpin straight up says your entertainment value alone justifies your presence <laughs> which Smythe is like absolutely enraged by yes. this <laughs> Smythe in this episode basically is just like fisk what are you doing like why are you doing any of the things you're doing and this is just totally in line with that yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i I like that, like, Hobgoblins points out the fact that Kingpin's lair is, like, a lair that literally controls all crime on the planet. He likens it to El Dorado and, what was the other one? Shang, Shang, Shang. Shangri-La. Yeah. So, it's interesting. It's it's interesting that there's, like, kind of a mythic, like, urban legend behind the Kingpin in general, I guess. Like, the Kingpin's lair that is probably just Mm -hmm. naturally spread. So, I thought it was a cool little detail. Yeah, I, I, I missed it the first time around, too, and... And so when it comes up later, I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a really weird thing to think about that it, that Fisk basically lives in this brain of the the crime world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like in the central nervous system of all crime. <laughs> <laughs> so in this exchange, um, as uh, as Hobgoblin and, and Kingpin are sort of bonding in this weird, weird sort of standoff way, Hobgoblin offers the name of his employer in order to sort of build trust and put something on the table with Kingpin. Um, And so he reveals that it was Osborne that hired Hobgoblin to kill Kingpin, which Kingpin obviously appreciates. Well, he appreciates the information. He doesn't appreciate the (laughs) 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 to clarify. Um, And he gets mad about that. So um, he, he basically says, I'll teach Osborne a lesson and I will use this as an opportunity to sort of test your loyalty to me because he really is like very sort of enamored with Hobgoblin. Um, So he wants to sort of move forward in cooperation. So we had Norman Osborn and Hobgoblin in an alliance against Fisk. And then Hobgoblin's like, "Eh," or I'll just go work with Fisk. So now those two are sort of conspiring together to get back at Norman Osborn. Double cross number, if you count, Osborne technically double-crossing Fisk by having sending a hit. This is double-cross number two. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they do make their sort of alliance and, and come up with a plan. Fisk also basically says, if you're going to work with me, you're going to need to sort of up your arsenal a little bit. And so Smythe develops better weapons. This confused me okay. the first time I watched it because Smythe um, develops better weapons for hobgoblins glider but the first time i watched it i thought he was getting his new glider from Smythe because if you look at the screen that alistair Smythe is working on it has blueprints for hobgoblins second glider Ooh. which we haven't seen yet yeah I didn't so that. i knew that was coming and was like "Ooh, hoo, 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 here we go like he's gonna get the 
the new glider, but that's just sort of a flub on on the part of um, the animators slash editors. Hmm. Because really all he gets are the bombs and missiles. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe just the missiles. Not even really sure 100% what weapons he gets, but he gets better weapons from Smythe yeah, in order yeah. to take out Norman. Yeah I'm, not, yeah, I'm not sure which ones it is because the ones that I'm thinking of he, is the ones that he, has, he gets later from Osborne. So I don't really even know what he gets from Smythe now that I think about it. So here's a question <laughs> for you. Yeah. When he's attacking the event, this is one thing I didn't go back and check, even though I went back and checked this. Mm-hmm. I think that he first just has the laser blaster mm-hmm. thing. That's what he attacks Wilson Fisk with. I know he attacks Spider-Man with it, and I know that he he has it when he breaks into Fisk's hideout slash entire Chrysler Tower. Right. So I think that this is where he gets the bombs. Okay. Because Because Fisk says, you need weapons that fit your bizarre aesthetic. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But I didn't check to see if he used bombs before this. Yeah, I didn't either. I guess it probably probably makes sense that he just used the lasers before. Hmm. I don't... But I'm telling you, the blueprints of the the Glider 2.0 really confused me and made this very confusing. It is confusing. (laughs) And it's an... It's... I don't like his pumpkin bombs... Um, which are very a very specific goblin thing. I don't like them coming from Kingpin and Smythe. I feel like it should have explicitly come from Osborne because mm-hmm. I mean I don't know. I feel like uh, some of the things that I that I've also heard like Semper say about uh, about writing these episodes is that like one of the things that made him eventually kind of okay with it was that he still had uh, Norman Osborne pretty much design like all of the tech for the Hobgoblins. So Norman yes. Osborne, who does become the Green Goblin is like does have a hand in creating the hobgoblin but the pumpkin bombs are so specific and so like such an instrumental part of like the goblin aesthetic so to have that piece of all things not come from um, norman i'm not down with that (laughs) no i agree with you i didn't think of that but i 100 percent agree with you because it does make way more sense for a future goblin to develop tech for a goblin (laughs) right right but I think that's I think that's the progression of things. They also didn't need to do that at all. Um, it's sort of an unnecessary thing that I think confuses some of the plot. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does because they could have just as easily been like, "All right, well, you're gonna you kill him now." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. go do the thing that we agreed you would do. Right. <laughs> yeah, he also has some some uh, some lines in there where he's talking about his appearance. He explains that his namesake has been a symbol of fear and terror. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's like what Hobgoblin mythology is. I don't know a lot about it, but I thought it was just like they were just like mischievous and like imps and stuff. Like, I mean, I think. Yeah, like a a pain in the ass, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think they, I think it comes, they started off as being like not, like they were like neutral. Um, Yeah, it says it was once considered helpful, but with the spread of Christianity has often been considered wicked. So I don't know, maybe he's citing from like, later mythology or something like that but but puck in midsummer night's dream was apparently a hobgoblin according to shakespeare so that mm. makes sense for like the mischievous imp kind of thing either way i'm not sure if uh, hobgoblins got his research right but he doesn't seem like <laughs> the kind of guy that's like fact checking no. himself anyway he probably just heard something he probably thought the name was cool and then just like retroactively <laughs> made up his rationalization for it so yeah exactly <laughs> but either way he explains his like creepy mask is i want this face to be the very last thing my enemies see which i i don't know i i guess 
the more we I should know that the more we dissect Hobgoblin in these episodes, the more frustrated I'm going to get <laughs> because this isn't an episode about him, but it almost makes me wish that they just wouldn't throw anything about him in here and just let him be the vehicle that he he is. Mm-hmm. Because the more they throw things in like this, the more I'm like, but that doesn't really fit what you're doing. Yeah. You know, like who who's your enemy in this? None of these people are your enemies. You're just using people. Yeah, they should have treated him like Rhino. Just, like, throw him in. He's another yeah. weird guy in a costume who's wreaking havoc. Because I think, I think like, the ultimate I, the concept for this story is essentially, like, what if your hired mook slash mercenary slash bounty hunter kind of person just decided one day, like, actually, maybe I want to be in power now. Like, that's literally what the whole story yeah. is. Because he's just a hired goon who then is just, like, double-crosses people a bunch of times until he eventually ends up in power just just by process of elimination, essentially. And I think that's a really cool idea for the story. But by, like, throwing in these weird things that make us, like, these kernels of interesting information that makes us want to learn more about him, but then also, like, contradicts the idea of, like, what if the hired goon became the kingpin? Like... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It kind of just muddies it a little more than it should. Yeah, I think so. I think so for sure. But oh well, I guess, <laughs> I guess Smythe asks, so he answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we do cut from that to Peter waking up after the housewarming party. Mm-hmm. Obviously hungover. Uh, obviously. But we can't say that <laughs> on the show. <laughs> it's clearly, clearly what's happening. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, oh, oh, oh. Did you notice? The walls of the apartment are green and purple, green goblin colors. Oh, like the ha- I, I think like the 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 I don't remember which is which, but like the hallway outside I think is like purple and the inside is green or maybe it's reversed. I know that the doors. I remember the doors being purple because I remember the doors being obnoxiously ornate. <laughs> <laughs> because Harry comes out of just his room, not even like the front door, but just his room, and it's got the most ornate doorknob ever yeah. for no reason. <laughs> So I remember that, but I don't remember the walls. So the walls, the walls or the carpet or something must be, must be green. Yeah. I do remember the artwork. Many, many pictures of like galaxies and spacescapes. That was odd. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it's cool. <laughs> like I dig it, but it doesn't suit. It doesn't like make sense. It doesn't like fit yeah. either of them. Well, at least if it's kind of, it's Peter, but he obviously yeah. didn't decorate the apartment. So, <laughs> uh-huh. so, uh, so he's, he's hung over <laughs> and before he even has a chance to recover or anything, uh, he gets a phone call from Aunt May. Mm-hmm. Aunt May is coming to visit because she hasn't been to the apartment yet. And this makes Peter panic, of course, because the apartment is totally trashed, like impressively trashed. <laughs> uh, question. Yes. He gets a phone call on his phone from Aunt May, mm. who is on her way over. She gets there in like 30 seconds to a minute. Stay. She didn't have a cell phone. She didn't have a cell phone in 1995. So no. where is she calling from? Do they just live like right next door? Or do you have to like call them on the, like, was she like buzzing in basically? And then the buzzer, like at the entrance of the apartment building goes to Peter's phone and that's what he's answering, which if so, then that makes it really complicated to like have a big party like they were having last night. So, <laughs> so I thought I had the answer for you because I initially thought, oh, okay, well she's calling from the lobby, but then she's at the door before he can take like 20 steps. Yeah. Yeah, it's like she was calling, like, as she was coming up the stairs. <laughs> uh-huh. Very strange. Yes. I don't trust it. I don't trust that, Aunt May. <laughs> Sums up with her. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
speaking of <laughs> yes so uh she does arrive uh immediately pretty much after the call and um without really having a chance to say much more than oh my goodness this mess peter uh hobgoblin shows up and attacks don't forget that peter's <laughs> spider sense goes off before hobgoblin attacks and i mm, love it right. his response is like that's funny aunt may's never set off my spider sense before <laughs> and because of that thought process the spider sense sequence is is strangely long or at least it feels like it's strangely long mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's long enough that his eyes go like back and forth yeah. <laughs> while his spider sense background is still up. Yeah, yeah, because it has to go through like that entire voiceover. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So Hobgoblin does attack. He breaks in and, of course, he's like delighted that both Harry and Peter are present. Peter, his old nemesis, essentially, he gasses the place and then kidnaps Harry. Um, and then we see Aunt May is now like unconscious uh, because of the gas, whatever it was, as he flies off. I'm surprised that Hobgoblin didn't like actively try to kill one of them or like kill Peter. But yeah, you know, it, it's the plot. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a plot, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but Aunt May, we immediately cut to her in the hospital, and the doctor explains that she had like a form of a seizure, which is essentially yeah. which is dark and essentially put her into a coma where she yeah. stays for the whole rest of these episodes. So stakes immediately raised very very high (laughs) yep big time Mm -hmm. well hobgoblin like you said kidnaps harry and brings harry to fisk but not before we see Smythe once again expressing concern (laughs) over fisk's decision-making abilities (laughs) basically saying that he doesn't trust hobgoblin and he thinks it's a terrible idea to work with him because he's dangerous and unstable (laughs) accurate (laughs) very astute yes (laughs) (laughs) but yeah harry ends up with fisk and uh, fisk is very impressed by this and basically says like maybe i'll train you as a protege hobgoblin which is bizarre (laughs) very weird of all the people so like i think he's just like really he's so amused by him that he's almost like letting (laughs) letting his judgment be clouded because he's just like yeah this is a this is a good candidate for kingpin this like (laughs) maniacal guy dressed in a halloween costume that just like Throws bombs everywhere all the time. Yeah, this is normal. <laughs> you know what Hobgoblin is to Kingpin? What? Hobgoblin is to Kingpin as like annoying, obnoxious cat is adorable to their owner. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like yes. you go over to someone's house and that cat will like try to eat your hair and knock your glass off the table. And the owner's just like, oh my gosh, isn't it so cute though? <laughs> <laughs> Little my sweet boy. Sweet baby. <laughs> exactly. Hobgoblin is Kingpin's cat. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. <laughs> Somebody please draw that. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh man. I'm excited. Um, <laughs> so Hobgoblin deba- demands his bonus, but Fisk declines. Fisk then calls he calls Norman to reveal that he has captured Harry and to reveal that Hobgoblin has double-crossed him. That's weird, right? I guess... That you're, like, revealing the fact that Hobgoblin has double-crossed you? Yeah, I guess it's it was more... I took it as being, like, showing off the, how much leverage they actually have, where it's just, like, you yeah. literally have nothing now. I have your I have your goon, and I have your son. Yeah, like, okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, more, more pressure for him to... 
while the ransom is uh, in exchange for Harry is the entirety of Norman's intellectual catalog. So literally, which is <laughs> damn. Yeah. Yeah. Which as we have seen, that's pretty much the only thing that Norman like 100% cares about. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Norman just really uh, keeps messing stuff up. Huh? Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back at the hospital, uh, we get MJ visiting Aunt May and Peter, which is sweet. I like MJ in these episodes. But I, I like as she's walking in, like, we see Peter, his, like, voiceover. He's just, like, bubbling with anger. And he's, like, giggling piece of dirt. I'll rip his right before he's cut off. <laughs> <laughs> rip him limb from limb, perhaps? <laughs> rip from limb! I'll chase you to the ends of the earth! <laughs> Hobgoblin! <laughs> And uh, Peter kind of, Peter is pondering the connection between Hobgoblin's attacks, which I, I think is really smart because he's essentially like un- thinking this entire time that it is 100% his fault that Hobgoblin was attacking him, like out to get him for, for saving Fisk's life. But then he's like, well, wait, how would he know where I lived? I literally just moved there, which is a good thought. And then he starts thinking that maybe this has something to do with Harry, has something to do with Osborne. I like that there's like, there's, Another like good shot in this up in in this uh this scene when he's talking to MJ like while they're in the middle of talking it's just uh cuts to like the outside of the hospital and you just see their silhouettes through the window as they're talking yeah yeah it's a good it's a good shot after that this is when Peter goes to Ob- Oscorp so he arrives he of course whoops uh it just <laughs> knocked my mic uh, <laughs> so he arrives at Oscorp um he isn't allowed any access so uh he jumps the wall and like does this really great like run did you notice this like when he's running the animation like the background kind of slows down so he's (laughs) basically running in place for a second (laughs) i did not notice that that's so so good it is so good because like the beginning of the shots when he's when he's jumping and has like the music swelling it's actually really good but then like it slows down and it's just like oh why didn't you cut like like three seconds earlier That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these these episodes have have like a pretty wide variance between really well animated bits and pieces yeah. and really sort of like not good it's animated weird. bits and pieces. <laughs> it's very weird how much it fluctuates. Uh-huh. Um, I think, you know, there's another, I think it was in the scene with MJ, but there's like a point when it's like, uh, yeah, it's when Peter's like thinking through who the Hobgoblin was trying to go after and like. It's a mirror image of his head because the the part of his hair is suddenly flipped to the other side when it's close <laughs> up on his head. And like Weird. it's also drawn really awkwardly. Like it wasn't like awkward and fun enough to be the face of the episode, but it's still like it's just weird because yeah, like like you said, like there's a lot of really good animation sometimes, but then it'll just be not good <laughs> stuff sometimes. Yeah, like Hobgoblin on his glider and it's just literally like moving up and down on a track. <laughs> like really bad yeah oh boy yeah after he jumps over the wall we realize that like there's this sort of concurrent interaction happening um between hobgoblin and norman so as peter's trying to get in hobgoblin is back to sort of present norman with a plan (laughs) which seems to be what hobgoblin does double cross number three (laughs) i believe so um hobgoblin basically says i will help you get your son back and save your company and all you have to do is help me take down the kingpin as this conversation is happening not only is peter trying to get in but alistair Smythe is spying with one of his fun little drones (laughs) 
on the conversation that Hobgoblin is having with Norman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so lots going on. Yeah, lots and lots going on. Again, that's the most interesting part of this episode is just all this back and forth and everyone double crossing everybody else. And of course, through all of this, Hobgoblin is demanding an upgraded glider because <laughs> he always is out to get something, <laughs> another new toy for himself. We'll see. And that's like I said, that's it's it's really interesting stuff. And the interactions between these three sort of power hungry men is actually really interesting. But there's just it's again, it's like a superhero action show. And so I <laughs> like trying to balance this really intricate story with <laughs> which is which I, I should say I. I'm not saying that an action superhero cartoon shouldn't have a good story. It just feels like this story is almost too complex <laughs> uh, for what's going on. It's like a business story. You know, it's yeah. like a, it's like businessmen. It's like, uh, did you watch Iron Fist on Netflix? No, I did not. I saw some like clips from it that looked silly, but no, I did not actually yeah. watch the I show. I mean, don't watch it. It's not enjoyable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but... That show was trying to be this sort of like business drama with superhero stuff going on. Mm. That's sort of like what this episode is, where it's like interesting business drama, but at the expense of (laughs) what the show has already been doing well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. No, and that's true. Yeah. I mean, I guess the upside is that since these episodes are generally like so short, even in the two parter, like... You can only spend but so much time on them, which is like to its benefit and to its detriment at the same time. Like it never gets boring, but no, no, no. It also like gets very whoops gets uh, very quickly. <laughs> I'm bumping everything today. I just bumped the table while I was talking. Um, <laughs> it it also gets very like quickly cut off and like just you know because you have to have your action quota in it. So right. yeah, it's a it's a balancing act, and it's, these episodes are, do okay with it. I think ultimately, but. It is interesting. I think the first one does better than the second one. I would 100% agree with that. Yeah. So this one is actually like pretty well constructed where you see the, the, you know, the original Alliance and then the double cross and then the second, well, second, third, whatever, another double cross. And they're all pretty, you know, they're simple enough to follow that. It's not like totally ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we're kind of rounding up to, to the end of this part one, Spider-Man does, does bust in and Hobgoblin flies away from Oscorp and over out into the city with Spider-Man in tow. Um, so Spider-Man is, uh, his, his, um, oh no, I know, I know what I was going to say. I like, like what has, he's, cra- he's crawling in as Peter Parker, which I always love when Peter is using his spider powers outside of his Spider-Man costume. Um, I was thinking uh-huh. it was cool. And then, of course, he's, like, hearing, he hears Goblin's laugh, and he has, like, this really angry, like, I know that laugh from anywhere. It's a great line reading. Um, and I love, like, how angry Peter is in these episodes. Um, <laughs> in a way that's, like, different from the alien costume anger. Like, it's, like, justified here. Because um, yeah. now it's personal. But, yeah, so anyway, his, all of his all of his suspicions are confirmed when he sees Hob- Hobgoblin there. So, webs up to, to follow Hobgoblin on his glider outside of the city. There's a whole whole sky fight that commences, and Hobgoblin is kind of kicking his butt. He's using smart bombs. Um, he's using buzzsaw blades. He's um, uh, has these smart bombs that follow Spider-Man for a very long time, up until very long time, a, a very long time, like through their entire fight until Spider-Man like jumps into, I guess, an abandoned building or a under construction building. Um, jumps in, and then the spark bombs follow. Everything explodes, and so obviously Spider-Man's dead, and that's why we get to be continued. Yes, this is like the most cliffhangery cliffhanger 
that we've gotten. Right? Yeah. Where it's like, guess what happens next? Yeah. Guess you'll have to tune in. <laughs> yeah, because the alien costume ones, they were kind of like natural endpoints for those episodes. Whereas this yeah. one is just one basically hour-long episode just split in two. Like a very traditional two-parter. Um, right. So, yeah. Um, that's also like the first of a couple of instances of like people thinking that Spider-Man has died in these episodes. There's like a couple of them in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that was part one real quick. The face of the episode Hobgoblin makes great faces like all the time. I think, I think oh, he, yeah. he's got a great, he's got a very well-drawn face. It's very different from like most faces on this show. My face, of the episode is just one of the many instances of him <laughs> grabbing his mask and stretching it out just to show off that it's a mask and that this is the face he wants his enemies to see. And I love the rubber sound effect behind it. Um, I was just going to say, it makes like a weird squeaky noise. Yeah, which it must be very uncomfortable to wear if it's like rubber or latex or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> well, since this one rolls right into the next episode, let's dive right into the next episode. Cool. Nice thing is the, I don't think there's quite as much in the second episode worth digging into yeah. uh, as the first one. So um, this is uh, episode 12, the Hobgoblin part two. And the, the short synopsis per IMDb is the Hobgoblin takes over the Kingpin's empire. Now Osborne and Kingpin plan to use Spider-Man to take the goblin down. So it continues the theme of the struggle for power, alliances made and broken all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. the original air date was may 27th 1995 it was written by stan berkowitz who uh, has written many other episodes we know who he is no major characters were introduced in this one because this is just a continuation of part one yes um so this episode picks up literally where the last one left off mm-hmm. uh so it is a direct uh continuation the cliffhanger picks up right where we were wondering uh what happened and surprisingly all the sarcasm in the world (laughs) spider-man was not blown up (laughs) by the smart bombs so we actually see that same exact sequence of him jumping into that building and then the the smart bombs exploding Um, but then we see that he's actually running through that building avoiding all kinds of explosions and he ends up in some neighborhood where there are no skyscrapers really so he's kind of at a disadvantage because he can't web sling up where hobgoblin is flying so hobgoblin has a massive advantage blowing up tons of stuff (laughs) (laughs) i actually was going to count the number of explosions in this episode Uh and have you guess how many there were but i got maybe 30 seconds in and was already at like seven and was like i can't do this (laughs) (laughs) i just i can't do it there's gonna be more explosions than there are minutes in this episode That would have been fun, um, but impossible. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have been able to like watch the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so explosions everywhere, and that's pretty much all this fight is, is is Spider-Man avoiding explosions until he hides underneath this little like VW micro bus that's parked on the street, mm-hmm. and Hobgoblin blows that up. So, of course, he must be dead. Yep. Second instance of everyone thinking that Spider-Man's dead. He couldn't have escaped that. He couldn't have escaped through the very open manhole directly under the Volkswagen. (laughs) Oh, but wait. He does. (laughs) Because he's not an idiot. (laughs) So, yeah. Yep. Sets the tone. Lots of explosions. Get ready. Uh, Yep. (laughs) Remember Spider Slayers Part 2? Oh, boy. (laughs) Is it that bad? Mm. It's not quite that bad because there's at least a, like more of a story going on with this one. Uh, yeah. 
But they needed to, you know, make up for the lack of explosions in the Venom saga. Oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> and they put them all in here. <laughs> all of them. Yes. Yeah, so Spidey is in the sewer right now, but he gets, like, flushed out when they start, like, I guess they're putting out the fire on the bus and then all the water goes <laughs> down there. So he's just having a bad day. All oh, the old Parker yep. luck. Yeah, so back at Oscorp, uh, we see Norman watching the story about Harry's kidnapping um, and Spider-Man confronts Norman. Um, he's he's still pissed. He's demanding to know how the Hobgoblin is connecting to connected to Norman. Norman says he can't reveal that because it's personal, which is uh, a, a theme that we kind of get in this episode, too. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man threatens Norman, but Norman reveals that he's already working with the Hobgoblin to resolve the issue. Um, Norman's saying, this will all be over at midnight. Um, Spider-Man says, then you can expect to see me one minute after. Just be sure. This, <laughs> yeah, this is similar to the Peter learns something about <laughs> Prometheum X and doesn't tell us what. Mm-hmm. Where when it's happening, I'm frustrated that it's happening, but it comes back around by the end of the episode. So if you're wondering, why is Peter just like not doing anything and trusting Norman? <laughs> don't worry the ends justify the means <laughs> yeah yeah i don't it's 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 kind of out of character i mean i guess i guess the rationalization because right after this he's back in the hospital with aunt may so i guess the rationalization is that like he's being pulled in two different directions because he does want to be there with aunt may and but he does want to obviously like get revenge on the hobgoblin and yeah. this is the best way to split the difference if norman is claiming that it will be handled and he's obviously like being like not uh, being really obstinate and not letting not letting spider-man in anyway so i don't love it it does seem kind of contrived but i can buy it i think i i will totally buy your rationale and i wish that they would have um portrayed it a little bit stronger because yeah. i think you're 100 percent right but it could have been more explicit yeah um so he does visit the hospital uh, we do see that um and we were there just pretty much long enough to know that Aunt May is in bad shape still. Um, she hasn't woken up, and so that will be something in the back of Peter's mind throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. And Peter, of course, is thinking the whole time, like, this is all my fault. Even though he knows yeah. that it's not really his fault, but, you know, it's Peter Parker. Like, everything's his yeah. fault, so. <laughs> Peter's gonna Peter, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> After the confrontation with Spider-Man, Hobgoblin arrives at Fisk's stronghold, to collect his payment for completing the job that they agreed upon. Instead, Fisk shows Hobgoblin the video footage that Smythe took of Hobgoblin making the deal with Norman to uh, basically backstab Fisk together. So Fisk calls his guards on Hobgoblin, but Hobgoblin is incredibly successful in basically taking over the stronghold. Yeah. (laughs) He drives Fisk, Smythe, and all of the guys, (laughs) like guards and stuff, out. Uh, using the upgraded glider so <laughs> he just it's, he it's, just bombs the he just throws bombs yeah. everywhere willy-nilly that's how that's how yeah. you beat kingpin i guess is you just throw bombs everywhere <laughs> well okay so it's it's actually this is one of those things that's that's uh written well from a structural standpoint where he's more successful in this interaction because he has the equipment that he didn't have in the last interaction mm-hmm. right um, it's sort of like black suit Spidey can beat Rhino, even though original suit Spidey couldn't. Right. But it's still, <laughs> it's still ridiculous that, like you said, he just blows the whole place up <laughs> where any reasonable person would be like, we got to get out of here. But Hobgoblin's not reasonable. So he blows the place up and then basically says, ah, yes, this is mine now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
It's good. Which is just like kind of amazing. Yeah, my note for I think it was for this scene. I just have a note that says Hobgoblin is silly. <laughs> so, yeah. and I feel like that's kind of uh, that's pretty much his hand. very true. Yeah, <laughs> I also like that like Wilson Fisk doesn't want to leave and smite like he's like no we can't retreat and Smite's like dude he's like he's blowing literally everything up like what do you yeah. <laughs> let's go can we go there will be nothing left can we leave please <laughs> again Smythe voice of reason over these two episodes right. <laughs> um how about also had a line during that like this whole like interaction where he's like the measure of a man is how he handles defeat let's see how you handle yours that one is, that one is the one thing I knew from this episode but not from the episode it was because like ABC family used that as like one of the voiceovers on one of their Spider-Man commercials that I oh. had on tape. Like I taped like the marath like a marathon that they had. So whenever I would go back to watch like the animated series, that would be like one of the commercials that would come on if I didn't fast forward. So that like quote is like burning my brain from that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I know this from somewhere. <laughs> So um, after Hobgoblin basically like fumigates the place, <laughs> he releases Harry from a glass cage that he's been keeping him in <laughs> and like gloats over his victory, basically explaining like, look at what I have earned myself. Um, and this is where I had to go back to the first episode because I was like, wait, hold up. Are you like he basically says that this place controls you know, the power and the elect, well, power and electricity, I guess are the same, but the water security, all the crime across the planet. Um, and I was like, wow, that's ridiculous. But that is exactly what they established yeah. in the first episode. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, like totally gloating and like polishing the trophy, basically. Like, <laughs> look at this. <laughs> yeah. And poor Harry is just like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Harry's like, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why am I here? <laughs> Can I go home? please <laughs> yeah Hobgoblin is kind of this is like one of those things that is interesting because again i get like the the conceit he's just like the mercenary guy who just happens to end up like being in charge of everything kind of almost by accident a little bit but yeah it's weird because he's also like slightly worldly and like slightly smarter than others but again it's like I don't know. It feels it would have been better if he was like legit dumb, I feel like, and was just because I feel like you can be dumb and still double cross people because I don't feel like he really plans things very well. He just like he's good at like seeing when there's an opportunity to just like do something for him to, uh, to his yes. advantage. But he's not particularly like smart. Like he's not a calculate like a like a very he's not very like calculating or anything. So I almost wish that like they kept out any of those like references that he made and just made him just like dumb. You know what I mean? And then like, it's a surprise that he's able to do all of this. I, yeah. If he were some sort of like idiot savant. Yeah. Where he accomplished am amazing things, but couldn't articulate how he did them or what to do next. That would work really well for me because it's kind of like, it's, it's almost like he's, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker has that quote about, I'm like a dog chasing a car. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught it. Mm -hmm. Hobgoblin would make more sense if he were closer to that. Yeah. Where he's ambitious, but there's no real end goal to his ambition. Yeah. So like he sees that Kingpin has this power and he wants the power, <laughs> but he has no use for the power. Yeah. But here he's sort of articulating like all the things he could do. And that sort of takes me out of it. Yeah. Where it's like, but but do you want to do those things? Right, because it doesn't <laughs> seem like the kind of guy who would know what to do with it. And you know, I really like that idea because I I think I mean I really like the 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 kind of core of it where it's just like 
oh, I see a new toy. I want one. Like, and then he just goes for it. And, and that's really his, like, superpower is just, like, the ability to just have no constraint and just go with his inhibitions and, and get what he wants. But, but yeah, like, it, it makes it less interesting if he is knowledgeable. Because then I feel like if he was, like you said, like, kind of an idiot, idiot savant, that almost distances him further from the Green Goblin, who is very calculating and, and very mm-hmm. smart. And then... And it kind of lets him almost be like the improved version of the Hobgoblin because it's like, well, I'll take all the tech that you have and kind of like the attitude that you have, but then like perfect it. (laughs) And I guess it kind of does that. But that's the thing is that like Hobgoblin just kind of rides the line a little too much when they really could have firmly planted him into one solid characterization. Right. Because because when he is a lot when he falls on one side of the line definitively during the episode it works really really well and when he falls on the other side it could work well but they just sort of muddy it constantly yeah yes yes so harry does in fact actually ask hobgoblin like what do you want from me like why am i here what do you want from my dad and hobgoblin uh just replies revenge Hmm. pretty much um so hobgoblin you know, has emotionally invested himself <laughs> in all these power grabs and alliances and, and betrayals and stuff. Although I guess he was emotionally invested with, with Norman from the beginning. That was one that he already had some motivation for. We just don't know what it is. So that's, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Hobgoblin contacts Norman. Uh, so Norman asks why Hobgoblin hasn't returned as per their deal, and Hobgoblin explains, Now that I've got the Kingpin's Empire, I want Oscorp too. This is now double cross number four, a quadruple <laughs> cross, I guess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Norman, the only lever- literally the only leverage that he has is threatening to expose Hobgoblin's identity, um, and that's when Hobgoblin is like, um, I have Harry. <laughs> I have your son. Yeah, keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, what else you got? Um, and that's when Kingpin and Smythe arrive. Um, they did escape the bombing. Kingpin says, ironic, isn't it? You started this by double-crossing me, and now he is double-crossing you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's what's happening. <laughs> yep. Everybody double-crossing everybody. Yeah, so Kingpin proposes that they work together to stop the Hobgoblin, but they need a weapon that will counter Hobgoblin's arsenal. So Norman, Norman responds that he has just the thing, or the someone. Which is Spider-Man. <laughs> yes, this is this is where I really started appreciating the story that they're telling outside of, you know, featuring the Hobgoblin. Mm-hmm. Because when Kingpin comes in and basically says like, all right, well, we don't like each other, but let's stop this guy. And Norman's basically like, we could do that or we could have somebody else do that. <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> That's when I was like, this is actually kind of brilliant. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that I wish had taken place over the course of 13 episodes. Yeah, absolutely. It's like premiere television type storylines mm-hmm. just in the a package that's too small (laughs) yes absolutely it's fun it's fun because it's almost like your kind of typical like any of my enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing that you usually see with like a villain teaming up with a hero but in this case it's two villains teaming up with each other but then they also have to team up with a hero technically on top of that so it's just like i love i love like the intricacies of how this one plays out and like you said it's just like it's this really fun kind of like business drama kind of story happening where yeah everybody is double crossing everybody and and the only and like the collateral for all of this is just like who wants to have the power and the money <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> yeah exactly it's funny too because it's not i don't even know if that's a show that would normally draw me in but i'm drawn in because like spider-man's there yeah, yeah. 
So it's like weird that I'm appreciating it so much, but I, I really do like it. I wish that this episode were more fun along the way, mm-hmm. you know, cause yeah. I, I like the, I like the, the weird business. Everybody betrays everybody drama of it all. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, so Spider-Man arrives at Oscorp after midnight as he promised. So the reason uh, Osborne is so confident in this plan is because he knows that he's going to have to meet up with Spider-Man anyway. So I like that they established that earlier. That was the thing where I said it comes back around mm-hmm. and and makes sense and plays in. Mm-hmm. So structurally, that's really nice. I do like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Norman explains uh, that things have changed because Spider-Man understandably is like, uh, yo, like nothing got fixed. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And Osborne says, well, I need you now. Understandably, Spider-Man's like, I don't buy this, but I don't really have much of a choice. Right. Um, so Osborne takes him to basically a secret entrance to uh, where the Hobgoblin is. That's like all he really has to try to get Spider-Man to trust that this makes any sort of sense. And Spider-Man doesn't really have any anything to work with. So he sort of is just sort of like, yeah, I, I guess so. Mm-hmm. And it, it all kind of ends up being this like weird tentative interaction um but it results in the right thing which is spider-man uh making his way towards <laughs> fisk's stronghold yes he's going through the secret tunnel which is there's that secret tunnel is weird because it looks so complicated and there's points when like spider-man is crawling through like narrow passageways on wires which is like first of all how does he really know where to go if it's not like a direct path but then also how did Fisk and Smythe get out of there <laughs> if it's like that? Yeah. <laughs> Fisk is huge and Smythe has like the most complicated like f- like Professor X wheelchair of all time. <laughs> I don't like why is Spider-Man crawling through an air duct? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> also Kingpin again is very like extravagant yes if it's a secret tunnel it can still be extravagant yeah yeah make it nice have some have like some bathroom stops make it like red like velvet carpeted and stuff yeah that actually would have been a really funny thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) where's the purple there's not enough purple for this to be kingpin's secret tunnel (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh man someone fire the decorator (laughs) Yes, I also just want to stress that this is the only way that Spider-Man's able to get into the stronghold. Yeah, so Spider-Man does arrive at that strong at the stronghold where Hobgoblin is. <laughs> so Hobgoblin's just on the phone making a bunch of deals with himself, like hypotheticals, um, where he's just like constantly like overplaying his hand, even in his like hypothetical deals <laughs> that he's making. <laughs> this this is what I want yeah. from Hobgoblin, who has power, like not knowing what to do with himself. Yeah, he's way in <laughs> over his head. He thinks he knows what he's doing. I think that's that's the kind of the key is that like. He thinks he's got it in the bag, but, like, he actually doesn't really know what he's doing at all. <laughs> yeah. Yes, more of this would have helped. Yes, because it's, it's really greatly. It's funny. It's well-performed. It's really silly. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, makes, it actually does, like, make him interesting. <laughs> so... I don't, I don't get this. So Spider-Man <laughs> sneaks up on Hobgoblin. His way, so he has, he has the element of attack. Hobgoblin has zero, absolutely no inkling of an idea that Spider-Man's there. Spider-Man could just like tackle him and like punch him out and that fight over. Like, but instead he opts to like just shoot like a squirt of webbing onto Hobgoblin's <laughs> glider, which Hobgoblin, <laughs> I thought it was going to be a case where it's like, what was that? But no, he's like, 
oh, it's Spider-Man. Like, I guess he obviously sees the web- webbing. So he immediately yeah. knows that Spider-Man is there and is like, okay, I'm going to prepare a bomb now. I get, which is like the biggest bomb ever that he's holding in that shot. too. By <laughs> the way. So like dumb plan, Peter, I don't understand yeah. what your thought process was with that. <laughs> I don't get it either because the room is huge. I don't even think Hobgoblin is paying any attention to the world around him. Yeah. Spider-Man probably could have like literally crawled up the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Hobgoblin wouldn't have even noticed. Nope. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it either, but I I guess the I guess the rationale was if I stick his glider to the ground then he is grounded, but it's I don't know. It's not strong yeah. enough of a plan to overcome the fact that he already had the element of surprise right because he still has a bunch of bombs and razors and everything like the glider yeah. is important but that's like not the only threat here that's not even necessarily the biggest threat so mm, no. Ew, no it's weird um approximately a thousand green explosions follow <laughs> as they fight this to me is where the episode <laughs> kind of stops getting interesting <laughs> yeah um i definitely glazed over a little bit the first time watching this one um yeah, they fight, they fight, they fight, they fight, they fight, they fight. Hobgoblin uses his uh, last buzzsaw blade to distract Spider-Man to eventually, like, he, he cuts off the webbing first to his glider so he can eventually escape. I actually, you know what? I, I don't even think I stressed enough. <laughs> I really, really hate this fight sequence. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really, really don't like it because it is, ju- it's, it's just explosion after explosion after explosion. The entire screen is covered in, like, green gas Mm -hmm. for, like, a solid, like, two or three minutes, I think. Like, it's, and it's, it's not cut well. Like, things don't make sense. I, I, this, this is not my least favorite episode, but this is probably my least favorite, like, couple minutes of this series so far. It's poorly. I hated it. Yeah. (laughs) It's poorly edited. And yeah, you're right. And there's, like, moments where, like, the whole screen is covered in green, but then, like, Spider-Man will walk, like, two steps and then be, like, out of the green cloud, I guess. Like, it, there's weird moments like that. And also, like, I don't understand what the green gas is supposed to be because many other times... It has no effect on Peter at yeah, all. Yeah, it's not a knockout gas. So it's literally just, like, a smoke bomb that happens to be green, but then also causes explosions sometimes. Or is it supposed to be that, like, it causes an explosion and that's the smoke from the explosion? But in which case, there's never, like, enough debris from the explosion to be an explosion. So it doesn't make sense. And I feel like when Green Goblin comes in, there's explicitly, like, knockout gas bombs and bomb bombs. Hobgoblin's bombs just are, like, vaguely green fog machines most of the time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, um, I don't know. I just, I... I, this is the first time <laughs> that it's like since we started podcasting about this series that I've actually been watching a part of an episode and been like, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> so I I don't know. It's it's I just I, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. That's that's the that's I hate like whenever we like are really down on one of these because it's usually always in the context of like other really good stuff is happening around it. And there is a good, like, core to these episodes, but then you have, like, stuff like these action sequences that are just like, oh, God, it makes it a slog to get through when I wish it wouldn't be. Yeah. <sighs> yep. Um, but there is still, like you said, there's there's good stuff happening around it, and there's still a little bit of good stuff um, left. So Fisk and Smythe are watching this whole thing 
from afar because obviously they have a vested interest in how this turns out. Um, so they see that Spider-Man attempts to sort of leave the way that he came. Um, and he actually has Harry with him because in the sort of chaos of the fight, Hobgoblin only escapes because he uses Harry, who's back in the glass cage, by the way, <laughs> as like a distraction. Yeah. So he escapes, Peter grabs Harry and then Fisk and Smythe watch him sort of, like, run out. Mm-hmm. So their plan is like, okay, so Spider-Man's leaving. This is our opportunity to kill Spider-Man. So Spider-Man leaves through an elevator. <laughs> I don't remember if he entered through an elevator. No, I don't think we saw... Because, no, because when he webs the glider, isn't he, like, sitting in, like, an air vent? Or something? Yes. But but the elevator does actually make more sense. It does, yeah. Because this is like a penthouse stronghold. And Fisk is not... Fisk is strong, but Fisk is not climbing like <laughs> 72, ti- 72 flights of stairs. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's like weird, but it, I guess it makes sense or whatever. And it also allows for Smythe to attempt to kill Spider-Man by like basically ratcheting up the elevator to 11 and like smashing it into the ground. <laughs> Which causes another explosion. (laughs) And another case. The third case now where someone's like, Spider-Man died! And the music even swells like tragically with it. Like, you're not fooling us, man. You just did it two times in a row. Like, why are you trying this again? (laughs) Oh, that's so true. (laughs) And it's immediately after that Spider-Man just pops out. And it's just like, what was the point of that? (laughs) And they see it. Yeah, they see it. They're They're like, like, ah, yes, we finally killed him. Oh, wait, no, we did not. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, come on, guys. (laughs) Yeah. The thing I I do like kind of appreciate. So Spider-Man's running. He's got Harry in his arms. There's another like a thousand explosions happening exploding 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 yeah harry like wakes up while they're running like just barely mm-hmm. still kind of out of it wakes up long enough just to like sort of witness these explosions and then have spider-man jump out and then he just like passes right out like again as soon as like these explosions have, have happened <laughs> he's just like um nope i'm going back to sleep <laughs> i don't know why that that that's funny to me every time in every media like or, like ever <laughs> like, someone who's passed out wakes up just enough to realize they don't want to be awake yet yeah. and passes out all over again yeah. <laughs> it's always funny <laughs> and there is there's some like good like writing in covering like they still want to kind of preserve the mystery of who kingpin is for spider-man he still just has no idea that wilson fisk is kingpin they cover it up by since these thousands of explosions just like caved in that secret entrance so he doesn't really know where he was so still hasn't put the pieces together that wilson fisk and kingpin are this or one and the same probably won't for a while (laughs) judging how it's going so yeah that's an example of the type of stuff that this episode did really well that i had to watch again because i wasn't expecting it to be done so well yeah right so like when he was like now i'll never know where i was i was like what are you talking about like you're literally standing right next to what just blew up like you know where you are yeah (laughs) but then i when i rewatched it i was like oh that's right like that's the only way he could get in and he's never actually seen you know the whole Mm -hmm. i don't know how that (laughs) how he hasn't seen the chrysler building hatch open i know like these giant robots (laughs) that will just fly in and out of it at all times how does 
how does the general public like not see this happening? I know that the building is very, very tall and people didn't have <laughs> cell phones at the time, but mm. yeah, I feel like you could still see it like from a distance or from below, right? Like, yeah. Yes. If I can see the like four by four by 10 glass boxes at the top of Willis Tower <laughs> from oh, God, the ground, yeah. <laughs> you could see this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, it's like little things like that that I do actually appreciate that upon a second viewing, maybe maybe I'm denser than the average viewer, I don't know. But on a second viewing, I was like, oh, that's actually really smart. I like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, so uh, Kingpin celebrates his victory over the Hobgoblin, assuring Smythe that while he while the stronghold is destroyed, um, it's still okay because he's back under control. They can They can rebuild. But uh, meanwhile, Spider-Man does deliver Harry back to Norman. I love the exchange that happens here where he's like provoking Norman about it, which I mean, earlier in the episode, I don't think we mentioned it, but like there's that line, um, oh God, where Norman's talking about like, like, oh, Kingman's going to steal everything, like my inventions, my work. And Spider-Man's like, what about your son? Um, and Norman's response was was like, I said everything. Like, yeah. so I, I like how that it kind of establishes his attitude. He doesn't hate Harry. He probably legitimately loves Harry. He just like, he doesn't, he probably doesn't like him. And he just like, his priorities are all <laughs> over the place and he's just very self-absorbed. And I think that like, there's a good monologue here because it kind of flips a little bit back and forth with him, I think in a way that's good because he, he goes through all of these times that he missed Harry's birthdays. He wasn't there when he was sick. Like Spider-Man's calling him out on all of this, that he's a shitty father, basically. Mm -hmm. And you think that his monologue is going to lead to him being like, like, I wasn't there. Do you know how painful that was? But he doesn't say that. He just says, you think it means I don't care? He's still framing it from like the stance of being defensive about it, not yep. letting himself say that he cares. He's just saying like, you think that doesn't mean I care. And it's like, mm, subconsciously, maybe you don't really care that much. He <laughs> struggles so hard. Yeah. To just say the thing. Yeah. Like I care about Harry. Right. <laughs> and that's the th like every other way he could say it. He does. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and then it flips again because he does have a, a really a good line after that. At the end of it, it says it was just about making choices. Maybe I made the wrong ones. Um, so and it's almost kind of like the first time you've seen him legitimately doubt that maybe what he's done isn't the right thing because he has he's constantly been rationalizing it all the whole time. And I really like that because I think that makes him kind of a complex character because he's not just a terrible father or anything like We've seen variations of that, like in in different kinds of media, with how Norman and Harry's relationship has played out. But I think this one this one is interesting because I think he legitimately is kind of like willfully ignorant about being about his relationship with Harry. Like he knows deep down that he's making the wrong choices constantly, but he's just like so he's so like self centered and self absorbed that he's like not letting himself realize that or do anything about it or taking action yeah and i think it's 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 like a a really really sort of bigger ver bigger is not the right word but it's like a a different version of the of course i love you i i work all day and i provide you a home and food and all this sort of stuff yes um, but he just he can't actually do the things like his measurement of caring is something that is purely seen and witnessed mm -hmm. but but it's not a common measurement yes. you know what i mean like that's what it feels like to me where you have stories uh, like either on tv or in probably in real life for a lot of people but like where someone's like how do you not see that i care but all that person wants is like i just want you to like 
say that you're proud of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. I just want you to say it one time. <laughs> oh, God. And they're like, why, why do I have to do that? Right, <laughs> like, right. That's what it feels like. But it's 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 complicated by the fact that he, the decisions he makes are, are the, 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 the grand scale of the decisions he makes result in grand consequences. Mm-hmm. So he can't just pull out of his routine. He can't just stop doing the things he's doing. He can't just undo the decisions he's made because they're such huge things. So I could see where you'd get wrapped up in, in the sort of like, um, I don't know, just get wrapped up in it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that line that he has about choices, like that comes back at the end of the episode too, but I'll, I'll touch on at the end. But yeah. I'm very curious for you to touch on that because I really liked this moment with Norman Osborn and I liked the, it was just about making choices. Maybe I made the wrong ones. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ooh, I like that. That's deep. I really, really dig that. Yeah. And then I <laughs> didn't like it later, but uh, yeah, let's get there. That's the, yeah, that <laughs> that's an interesting thing to, that we'll have to parse through shortly. Uh, we're <laughs> almost there. That's that's the other thing about this one. I was completely taken by surprise when Hobgoblin shows up again. There was only like yeah. three minutes left in this episode. It really seemed to be just wrapping everything up. And because it's like there's still a lot to, to wrap up technically. And Hobgoblin just shows up again. And there's a whole other fight sequence. Yeah. But yeah, so Hobgoblin, <laughs> you drive by Bombs Hoscorp. It dislodges an air duct that nearly falls on Harry. Norman attempts to save him. He jumps. He jumps in front of him, and Spider-Man <laughs> saves him. So, I, I guess I appreciate the thought, but you both would have died. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, and I guess that just absolves him of every bad thing he's ever done as a father because he showed that he loved Harry by trying to save him one time. So, you know, whatever. yeah, <laughs> I get what they're going for. Even Spider-Man it, it, is just like, wow. I guess he really did make the right choice, and it's like. I mean, <laughs> it lets us know that we're supposed to believe the things he's saying. Yes, yes. Even if he's still cruddy, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what know. it is. And, you know, it's a short episode. There's three minutes left. You got to come to that conclusion very quickly. I get it. Right. Yeah. So this is our final fight sequence. This is another one I kind of glazed over, but luckily it's pretty short. Yeah, not much. <laughs> m- not much there. Yeah, it's just one last little little epilogue battle, I guess, between Spider-Man and the Hobgoblin fighting each other outside of Oscorp. On the glider, um, I mean, there's not really anything to it. Spider-Man kind of tricks him by, like, being at a place and letting him, letting Hobgoblin, like, come toward him. And then he just jumps out of the way. And that's enough. To- it's very, like, Matador. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm over here. Come and get me. And then he jumps out of the way just in time. Yeah, it feels like how you would beat him in a video game. Like, it, it doesn't. <laughs> yes. It's, not a cl- it's all about timing. It's not a clever way to handle it. But you know what? It ends it quickly. I'm fine with that. Uh, but- well, he uses he uses the ravenous Hudson River to his advantage, <laughs> knowing that if he could just get the hobgoblin into the river, he'll be gone forever. Yep. The river that <laughs> probably dissolves spider slayers and and, and uh-huh. rocket shuttles. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that can save you from the Hudson River is having spider DNA. <laughs> exactly. So hobgoblin <laughs> toast. <laughs> All right. So um, and now we're at the end. Mm. This scene has issues. So, <laughs> uh, so Peter is visiting Aunt May in the hospital. Doctors chastising him for not being present, and this is where the choices line comes back, saying that he's making all the wrong choices. Kids these days always make all the wrong choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, MJ kind of triples down on it too, and says that her choice, also having a choice, because this is now a theme that's been kind of thrown in and established i guess <laughs> for the last 90 seconds I of the know, episode <laughs> it's weird it's so weird so you know what it's reminiscent of what? 
it's like when MJ pulled all those things together at the at, at the end of an episode. Oh, the Mysterio Where one? she was like, theater is like physics. And then Peter's like, you're right, theater is like physics. And Uncle Ben's great, too. And you're like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, weird. Oh, okay. I'll finish this off, and then we can have a whole yeah. talk about the themes of these episodes. So, yes. MJ triples down on it. Her choice is that she's no longer moving out because seeing everything with Aunt May made her realize how much she cares about her aunt. She doesn't want to be away in case, I guess, she gets blown up by a hobgoblin, too. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so she's not going to move out. It's a real concern. So, yeah. Aunt May wakes up. <laughs> she's like, oh, God, it was so awful. And Peter's like, oh, I know. It's okay. The hobgoblin's gone. And she's like, not the hobgoblin. I'm talking about your mess, Peter. You're so messy. That means you can't move out, my little baby boy. <laughs> Can you tell I'm a little annoyed by this? <laughs> Vomit. <laughs> and and Peter goes along with it. He's like, like yeah. You're right. I'm not ready to move out. <sighs> um, <laughs> what's the lesson here? But the one last little bit that like I appreciate, but isn't good. <laughs> she then does eventually call back to her, like her, her frustrations about Peter risking, taking risks and stuff. She does go back and say that, yes, uncle Ben would have been proud of your decision to save Wilson Fisk. And yes. then we end on this weird thing where like, as she's saying that kind of like weird undercuts the moment as she's saying like this kind of emotional thing, but Peter then just seeing flashbacks of all of those things, like overlaid overlaying the scene of like hobgoblin very, attacking. Very weird choice. It's a weird choice because it's sort of like, that was clearly supposed to be a nice, like emotional, emotional catharsis at the end. that it's like, Peter did kind of get what he wanted from Aunt May. He was justified, but then it's like, well, no, he actually wasn't. Cause all these awful things happened because he did that. And then the last shot is just like hobgoblin laughing as he flies into the moon <laughs> and it flies into the moon. Just like Venom was also yeah. in the moon. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So what's with this? Like, okay. <laughs> There's, there was already, I feel like a good theme of this episode about like, it's personal. Like it was personal for Peter that like Aunt May got knocked out, but like his version of being, of it being personal is like taking action, like trying to help her and he's doing this for her. Whereas Harry, like Norman, it's personal for him because Harry gets kidnapped, but like he makes it clear time and time and time again that like he's more invested in like his work and losing his work really than like rescuing Harry. And it isn't until the end that like he realizes like, no, actually I do care about Harry. He is just as important. Like that's the kind of themes and how they like, how they contrast each other. Right. I think that makes sense. And I think that's pretty on point, <laughs> but, <Yes>. but <laughs> so with that said, why shoehorn in this weird, choices theme at the end where everyone's talking about making choices and making the wrong choices and Osborne's wrong choice made sense. Peter's wrong choice doesn't really make sense. Why is a doctor going to be chastising like a potentially grieving like 19 year old like that? Like that doctor's kind of an asshole. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then like, what's the lesson here that you just should never move out? Or, I mean, I guess it's that to care for your loved ones, I guess. But Peter was already doing that. Like he was already doing all of this for Aunt May. And like, he is going to have to move out. Like eventually, like she's not an invalid. She can, she can live alone <laughs> and him moving out. Didn't cause all this. So uh, I, I don't know. I guess the first, <laughs> the first, the first part of that. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. That was a no, lot. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, no, that was all very, very good stuff. The first part of that. I, I have no, no idea because they're putting all this stuff at the very end if you have a show that explicitly states its moral of the episode, like moral of the story, this is where you'd put it. So to cap everything off with this, 
I, I don't know why they would do that. It doesn't make any sense. It made perfect sense when Norman was talking about it because it it was what he was already talking about. Right. Like, right. It was the it was when we were trying to understand Norman. I have no idea why they did this because it's clearly very intentional in the way that they keep saying the word choices and keep like going through the room yeah. where everybody like gives their witness about choices. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know that, that I don't know anything about. Right. Cause it, and it doesn't play into anything from part one, really, you know, I mean, the, no. the apartment stuff, but like that, that, that theme wasn't present. So it's just no. a really weird, bizarre bit of writing. And it's like the, the excuse that like, I don't like Hobgoblin, so I'm not going to write this episode well. It doesn't work because this stuff has nothing to do with the Hobgoblin. <laughs> so. No, and, and and the episode isn't terrible, so I, I wouldn't buy that anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I yeah, I don't, I don't know what the justification for that was unless somebody – I don't know what pressure there would be. But if somebody was like, hey, um, I feel like this is a little too nuanced – could you throw in something for, you know, the parents watching along, like, to make sure their kids get the thing? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, it just, it feels sort yeah. of reminiscent of of shows that are really heavy-handed on their lessons, but this isn't even the lesson that they were building yeah. up. So I'm, I'm just, it's confounding. It's not even really a clear message either. The message is just like, don't make bad choices, I guess. Like it's Which really isn't vague. helpful. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, or, or the message is like, never move out of your parents' place. <laughs> Which, Which, oh my gosh, that, that's the thing is like, right. So if, if, if we are to buy into the fact that this is all about choices mm-hmm. and ignore the other, <laughs> like, I don't know, what would that be? 35 minutes of these episodes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what choice, like, actually I do know what choices we're supposed to take away from it. And they're terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you said, because both MJ and Peter are now not moving out of their homes, but but we got a laundry list of reasons why it was good for Peter to move out. Yeah. Yeah. Like we already got that. So we, it's good for him to move out because it's it's practice and independence and growth. Mm-hmm. It's good for him to move out because he's closer to school. Mm-hmm. It's good for him to move out because it's financially responsible in this circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's a sweet deal that you shouldn't pass up because you're never going to get a deal like that ever again in your life for that apartment. Right. And he said that he's closer to the action that he needs to be close yeah. to for Spider-Man. Yeah. Like there is a whole litany of reasons why the correct choice was actually to move. <laughs> right. Mm. I have a weird memory. And I... we're not making those up. Those were explicitly yeah. stated. <laughs> For some reason, I feel like I thought I thought that he stayed in the apartment with Harry after this. Like, I really thought this was permanent because I feel like I have vivid memories of him living with with Harry later in the show. But maybe I made that up or maybe he does end up moving in with Harry, which then, like, if that's the case, then that negates all of this stuff at the end of the episode anyway. I don't remember. Yeah. But it's just it's all weird. When I saw the apartment they moved into, I was like, oh, there's no way that this this lasts, or at least this apartment lasts. Mm-hmm. So then when it got blown up, I was like, oh, okay, so that's that's how they they move from this apartment into a different place. But I didn't expect it to end with, with them not being in an apartment together. Right. <laughs> I don't know. So very weird ending. <sighs> very weird ending indeed. Yeah, very weird ending to, like, I wouldn't call them weird episodes, but, like interesting episodes but not for like great like a mix it's a very mixed bag these this is a two-parter is a very mixed bag yeah well give me your overall like if you yeah what's what's your overall on these as like a whole thing it's uh, i didn't um 
the stuff that I liked in it, I really liked a lot. I liked all the double crossing stuff and I liked the, other than the choices stuff, I did like the attempt of like having these themes that paralleled each other. Like I liked that like Norman and Harry, I mean, um, ooh, uh, Norman and Peter kind of like paralleled each other with like their feelings that they're having and the situations that they're in kind of. And I feel like in a lot of ways, this these episodes are like kind of well-written in in how they like they take a really complex plot and i think they handle it really well like there's not a lot of spots where i feel like it's ever really contrived or anything like that and the stuff that is it's like very excusable but the stuff that doesn't work is like my least favorite stuff of the show where it's just like really boring not well done action sequences the hobgoblins just kind of like he's well acted and like he has a couple of moments but for the most part he's just not kind of there and like it definitely ends with a bad taste left in your mouth, I think, because of how it all ties together, because it ends up all feeling kind of inconsequential, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would I, I think the, the thing I would really, really latch on to is that, like you said, the stuff that's really good in this in these episodes is really, really good. But the stuff that's bad is just really terrible. And so it ends up being it, it ends up being hard to place because if everything's sort of consistently underwhelming, you're like, oh, OK, yeah, that kind of sucked. Um, but this sometimes I'm really high on it. Sometimes I'm really low on it, and I don't know where the average falls. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's weird. I'm having a hard time too because if I were to like rank these episodes, yeah, I don't really know where they either of them would fall. I was surprised by how much I liked part one. Yes, uh, but then part two, I didn't like hate it, hate it, hate it. But like the stuff that I hated in it, I hated a lot, you know, like, (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Part one, I liked more as an overall episode. And so it would rank higher than I would have expected. Part two, though, has like there are things that happen in part two that enhance my appreciation for part one. But if I just like take those things out and give credit to like give them like give episode one credit for those things, then episode two is left with mostly stuff I hate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's you know true. what I mean. That's like true. the only stuff I like about episode, or the second episode, is the stuff that further complicates episode or part one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was really articulate at no, all. No, but... it makes sense because it's 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 weird because this episode definitely has kind of a or these episodes have like kind of a trajectory, I guess, like that they're going on, and I feel like that trajectory is uh kind of downward <laughs> from the start. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They're weird. I almost feel like they're going to be, they're kind of like my least favorite just because of how hard they are to pin down because they're so up and down. I don't know. This one's, this one felt really hard to talk about, to be honest, like for this podcast. (laughs) Well, I think it was, I think it was hard because we go beat by beat. And I feel like this would have almost helped to have an overarching structure, Uh, like, like, we we couldn't do I don't think I don't think we could do the podcast this way based on how we look at things but it almost would have been easier to follow along if we were like okay here's the synopsis for all the backstabs like, <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah yeah <laughs> almost as if you had like done the three-way call telephone summary of it where right. it's like okay let me fill you in <laughs> so and so said this and did this and then so and so you will not believe <laughs> oh my god yeah, that would be funny. Mm, well, <laughs> yeah, it's hard because we, yeah, we're so granular with all like the details and everything. And I love that. But yeah, it's, it's hard this because this episode, like, well, the other episodes that we've dealt with in this show, I feel like it's been a lot easier to go beat by beat because it's a pretty, they're always a pretty straightforward narrative in all of them. And this one goes back and forth so much between so many kind of uh like 
it's a very like entangled web kind of episode intentionally yeah. so um but yeah it just makes it it makes it really hard to like look at in the the way that we do so i don't know like i said i really think this type of story would have benefited from being a season long story yeah where you know maybe for a couple episodes these two characters have a a tense but working relationship and then boom backstab and then you're like okay well that back that you know these two are now working together and this person's out for revenge boom twist you know what i mean i don't know if that would work with this show but it just feels like the type i i I don't watch game of thrones but the way that people talk about game of thrones (laughs) it feels like that where it's like oh my gosh power hungry backstab alliances this and that like that's what this feels like, but only in, you know, 38 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly, no, it's exactly that. It's like the subterfuge and the kind of like, kind of political, like, uh, maneuvering that they're doing essentially. So it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. There's a lot, yeah. there is a lot to like in these episodes. We've been very like negative about them, but I think it is because so much, the negative stuff is so bad. And especially in comparison to the really, really, really good stuff in these. So, yeah. Well, I still think if I, if I am allowed and I don't know if I am, but if I'm allowed to take the continued thread in the second episode and apply it to the first the first episode would rank pretty high and and higher than some episodes that i think i might have even spoken more highly of the second episode would fall squarely i think second to last because i still think spider slayers part two Mm -hmm. is just like a trash episode (laughs) (laughs) i just i could not care less about that episode fair fair oh boy Hmm. oh We did it. Yeah, we did. Face of the episode. I love this one so much. Okay. <laughs> Hot Level makes great faces, like I said. So yes. <laughs> um, there's a really quick clip at the very end when Spider-Man finally like defeats him, does his matador thing, and jumps out of the way. <laughs> right bef- I think it's right before he lands into the Hudson. There's just a clip of, of Hobgoblin's like terrified face. And <laughs> it makes no sense for his mask to be doing this and for his teeth to look like they do. But it's so good. It is so good. Oh, my God. I love it oh, so yeah. much. <laughs> no, it's a really, really great drawing. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. the 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 whole shape of his face is like totally different, but I don't even care. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But you know what? It's fine. This is these superhero masks. They never make sense. Yes. <laughs> oh, <sighs> oh my goodness. Well, any closing thoughts? I think we probably summed things up, but I don't know if you missed anything or had anything Oof. we didn't get to. I don't know. I not really. These are hard. These were hard. Like I said, these are hard episodes to talk about. There's a lot of complicated stuff. I feel like exhausted having talked about them. Um, it'll, next week will be easier because we're just, t- t- it'll just be one and then kind of the whole like season overview. So that'll make that, that'll be like a nice, like refreshing bit after like these big batches of episodes. And then these two hobgoblin ones that were kind of, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. None of the morals in this one are good. I would just say, I don't know, just like be good to yourself and drink water. There you go. That's yes. that's the moral to that's take away. That's the moral of the episode. <laughs> Hangovers would be easier. Uh, you know, I don't think we saw him do that. So yeah, yeah, that's why he's so like mad the whole episode. It's not because of Aunt May. It's because he has a hangover. He's dehydrated. He's dehydrated. <laughs> Get a Gatorade or something. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Okay. Well, if we do think of anything, we can always tweet it out, we can. and you guys are welcome to follow us on our lovely social media. Derek, where can people find you if they want more of your takes? Yes. Find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube 
Um, I have a, a show called Second Chance. I just released an episode the day of this recording. I met my deadline that I set <laughs> on the last episode. <laughs> yes. I have a new one out on uh, the Josie and the Pussycats movie, actually, and kind of looking at Ooh. why the... It's it's a really fun one that I guarantee you will enjoy, whether you like cared for that movie or not, because it's all about like critical perception and why critics hated it and audience hated it and how we kind of let our own perceptions of things like stop us from liking something that we probably would have liked if we didn't let it blind us from what it was obviously doing. So hmm. it's a it's a okay. fun one. Um, there is also one on Spider Man three as well that's pro- relevant to plug here. Um, that is also it's good. very good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, yeah. Feel free to check it out and subscribe. Let me know what you think. Um, I'm always up for chatting on the Twitter as well. And you can find me there on Twitter also um, at ickybooley i c k y b o o l e why tweeting about all kinds of things mostly reality competitions such as survivor rupaul's drag race um coming up actually might it might actually have started by the time this episode is released um the amazing race i'm sure i will treat will be tweeting about um so if you overlap with those things uh feel free to reply i'm always looking for conversation i feel like uh people who watch those shows seem to hide for some reason <laughs> and i'm just out there so uh you know i'm down and uh, if you are into Pokemon or Pokemon-related things, uh, feel free to check me out over on another great 4-Eyed Radio production, uh, Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast. We have some very, very cool ideas brewing that we're really excited about. We're trying to play with format and trying to... Um, I don't know. We're taking some swings and we're going to see what happens. And uh, I'm really excited about some of the ones that we have <laughs> on deck. Nice. Um, so, so check that out. Um, and with the new Pokemon game coming out later this year, I'm sure eventually <laughs> we'll get some news <laughs> sooner or later. I'm definitely not anxious about it or anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah check us out over there <laughs> nice you can follow our show walloping web snappers on twitter instagram and facebook all of them are at walloping web pod you can also email us at walloping web snappers podcast at gmail.com got that hobgoblin fan art we were talking about the hobgoblin is a cat you should send it to any of those things we will we will gladly accept it so please do that for us i'll put it on a pillow if you do it oh my god yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) you can also support us uh play our walloping word snappers game um you can get a shout out or uh we'll have we have some extra bonus episodes that we'll do once we get some patrons at some higher levels so support us on patreon by going to patreon.com slash walloping web snappers you'll get some of those amazing perks among many others So, coming up next time, we are going to finally wrap up this first season of Spider-Man the Animated Series with The Day of the Chameleon. See you then. Later! I don't even think Hobob blah blah.